Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. It's Ty Power's Big Footy Final Sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy Final Sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. The Tuesday version, that's where you've hit the Afternoons with Staffy podcast. Today on the show, the first hour was about, are you getting worried about the World Cup? What are your power rankings around the international game after... All the Northern Hemisphere teams won last weekend. I love that the series are all tied 1-1. What a weekend of rugby we've got ahead of us. But had some really cool calls uh, in that first hour. Then we were joined by Andy Rowe. He is host of the Rugby Pod, the most popular rugby podcast in the Northern Hemisphere to get the Northern take on last weekend. Uh, also joined by Chris Pollock, who threw just a little bit more light and a little gave me and the listeners a bit more understanding on uh, some of the decisions and the process that they go through for changing the laws and the rules of the game. I really appreciate Chris Pollock coming on. Also caught up with Neil Jennings. He's the New Zealand thoroughbred racing handicapper. He decides what horses get, what weights, and why the best horses target weight for rage. Good stuff there. We also had uh, Mastermind Ken took on the 1981 Springbok Tour and a bunch of other stuff like what happens next and back in the day. No Sammy today, but we still had a good time with Neeps and with Jake. Uh, enjoy. This is the Afternoons with Staffy Podcast. <laughs> Very good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to your Thursday. You're probably halfway through your Thursday, just like us. We're a bit light on the ground today. Um, You heard that uh, young Logan had to go and take care of the family illnesses. We've got Sam away today, so Neep's in the big seat in the Lazy Boy recliner. And uh, a big thanks to Jake for coming in and helping us manage the the first hour anyway of midday madness because I'm really keen on your uh, your input in that one. Um, so very reliant on your calls today so don't be afraid. If you've never called, now could be a good time. Now could be a good time. Midday madness shortly. Uh, later on in the show we're going to catch up with Andy Rowe. Now some of you out there might remember Andy Rowe. He was in sports media I think around 2009-12. Uh, he went and covered Uh, the Rugby League World Cup back in the day to the UK and stayed there. He hasn't come back uh, and very close to getting citizenship too. So Andy Rowe, he is the co-host of the Rugby Pod, which is the biggest rugby podcast in uh, Great Britain and uh, it goes great guns. So just want to get what, now he's a Kiwi, but I want the UK's take on uh, that weekend's performances by those Northern Hemisphere teams and you know, rightly they could be bragging from the rooftops, I'd imagine. <clears throat> and we didn't like it, but boy, I bet that they did. I bet they did. But where does the All Blacks mystique and mana still fit in the conversation of the rugby folk of the Northern Hemisphere? Keen to get his thoughts on that. We're going to have a chat to Neil Jennings as well. Now, he's the New Zealand thoroughbred racing handicapper. The guy that decides what weights horses get. Want to demystify it because I don't know. You just look at the book and you see a horse has got 61 and another horse has got 
57. How does he do it? How tough is it? And when a horse is penalised with weight, if you like. So if you're never quite sure why horses get certain weights and what's the difference between Group 1, Group 3, listed races, weight for age, all of that stuff. <clears throat> Could be interesting. Will be interesting because I'm going to learn stuff. Hopefully you will too. So that's Neil Jennings, NZTR Handicapper. We're going to go across the ditch with Jimmy Smith as well. That's about quarter to four. We have Mastermind today. Ken's having a crack at the Springbok Tour of 1981. Ten questions to have a crack at that um, on Mastermind. Uh, we're also, hopefully, we tried yesterday, we're trying again today to get uh, the head of New Zealand rugby referees, uh, Chris Pollock, on. Now, for a long time, it's been Bryce Lawrence. Chris Pollock's just taken that office. I think this week, even, it started. But he's got induction uh, yesterday and today, but they're going to try and grab him for 10 minutes uh, between 2 and 2.30. So they want to come and have a chat. But the interesting thing about this is so many things came out of the internationals um, here Africa, Australia, over the weekend. There is a full review going on at World Rugby right now. And it's not going to be finished, the review, till tomorrow morning. So I'd imagine if we don't get Chris Pollock today, we will hopefully get him tomorrow because, um, quite frankly, I'll probably ask him some questions and he won't know the answers to because the review hasn't been completed. But I just want to get some understanding around cards and replacement players and when a replacement player is red carded and... It's now coming out that potentially it should have been Papali'i stayed off and Savia could have come back on and all of that management around that. Very freaky. A very freaky situation. But the one that I'm really puzzled about is apparently when it went to uncontested scrums, we had to drop someone else off. So we would have had 12 players. Didn't happen, but we would have had 12 players. Kind of weird. And I just sort of want to understand that. I actually watched a YouTube video that Wayne Barnes did and explained it, explained it a bit better. And it's basically if you lose, he gave an example of a game in the Premiership over there. I think tighthead prop went off injured. He was replaced by the tighthead prop off of the bench. He got injured, so he went off. And so they had to bring on a loose head prop to play tighthead. Um, so it's still 15 on 15, but because it went uncontested, they had to drop a player off. So they had to play with 14. And I found that kind of weird. So hopefully we'll get a, um, <clears throat> a an explanation or some, just some clarification because oh, rugby rules are so complex, aren't they? But on the rugby, we had a feast yesterday and uh, I loved it. And I actually got a few messages from listeners saying they loved it as well. Hearing your passion out there was just brilliant. So... The dust settled a little bit on the results over the weekend. And, of course, uh, Wales, England, uh, France and Ireland, who have I missed out, Scotland, all won. All won in the weekend. So the question for Midday Madness is, what are your rugby power rankings right now? If the World Cup was starting next month, they play this test, everyone plays their test deciders. And the great thing, those those um, test series that I've just mentioned, they're all 1-1. They're all the Southern Hemisphere won last week, or week before last. All the Northern Hemisphere have won. So it's bragging rights for the Hemisphere. Oh, the equator is going to be under pressure. But <clears throat> if the World Cup was, if this was the last lead-up game to the World Cup and that was starting in a month, where did your favouritism sit? Who's the biggest threats? And bear in mind, this isn't one-off tests. This is a tournament. And I think I worked out one, two, three, four, five. Is it six or seven games you have to win to win the World Cup? 
Who's got the depth? Who's got the nouse in the coach's box? Who's got the captaincy? Who's got the senior leadership teams? To Gosh, it's a hard thing to win the World Cup. A very hard thing to win. So where are you sitting at at the moment? You're, well, I don't want to say fears. What are your observations? Who's the threats? Have we got some very real threats for teams that haven't won it yet? Have we got any of those? Or will the, I can't say cream rise to the top because we're not the cream at the moment, we're the bottom milk. Northern Hemisphere is the top cream at the moment given last weekend, but I just want you pricey on um, what what you see fashioning out over the next 12 months as we build to the Rugby World Cup. Who are your threats? It's Midday Madness. Well, listen, buster, you better start to move your feet to the rockin'est beat of madness. So there we go. And just to whet your appetite, and I'm not doing it to annoy you or anything like that, but I'm sure these little audio clips would have been played ad nauseum over the last 48, 72 hours up north. Not in control. The full-time siren's about to go. Clock was going to beat them anyway. And a near-perfect first 40 has set up this victory for the English. Full-time, England, 25, Australia, 17. Galanted, it's lost forward by Vincent Koch. And Wales have their first victory ever in South Africa. Full-time in Bloemfontein, South Africa, 12, Wales, 13. Kriu just has to get this away. Then the clearance has to be made. Jalibert puts the ball into touch. And that will round things off in Tokyo. France survived a huge scare against a Japan team who played their hearts out. Japan 15, France 20. And I couldn't bring myself to play the end of the Ireland-New Zealand game, but you all know what happened there. So 0800-150-811. Are we seeing a turning point? Is this, I mentioned yesterday, is this a period of time that we look back in five or six years' time and go, that's when things started to change? Or can we get it back? 0800 150 811, Midday Madness, you call, we'll chat. And first up, we got Dean from Dunedin. G'day, Dean. Yeah, got mate, all right? Very well. I'll read this to you. France, $1.09. Ireland, $5.25. England, $2.30. Wales, $4. Scotland, $3.20. $5.00. Return eight hundred and forty-two, thirty-five cents. Is that you? Yeah. Oh. yeah. I'll take the same. I'll take the same this weekend. It only pay about three dollars fifty, but I'll take all the southern hemisphere <laughs> Clean sweep. <laughs> well, no, it's just how it goes sometimes. Like when we go on tour over there, South Africa is normally the team that doesn't play too good, and they muck up that multi. But every now and then, multis come in for whatever reason. Mm. So for a lazy $5, what's the harm in it? You know what I mean? But for us, that, to answer my opinion of your question, who do we worry about in the World Cup? Well, who was the lowest qualifier that got in there? I'd worry about everybody. Like Fiji scared us. If, it's all about coaching and giving people belief. Rugby's not that hard a game. You've just got to have the right people in the right position all on the same song sheet. Now... 
Ryan had the Fiji Fords for two weeks last year, and they beat the bejesus out of us up front. Now, that was behind. The Fiji Fords were behind the Japanese uh, back line with Tony Brown just doing the backs. Not being a head coach, just actually doing the backs with the inspirational stuff that's in Tony Brown's head that no one else has ever seen before. The All Blacks would have been in a pair of pain to that combination team. Mm. So everybody that fronts the All Blacks now is a worry for us. Because in one-off situations, it's being proven more and more frequently. And that's a horrible word to use, frequently. We just don't know. Like, I was pleased last week they named the same players to see whether we could build on what was a very good result in Eden Park. But it was very flattering when you look. And I'm not a stat person, but if you look at them, the Irish played a lot of the rugby. This week, they played the exact same rugby but got over the try line or got the ball down over the grass. They got over it four times at Eden Park. So that's only a bit of dirt. That thing about that being someplace we can't lose, well, that's going to happen eventually. Razor proved it's just a piece of dirt. The problem I've got is how are 14 Auckland Blues in the All Blacks? Really too soon will be proved on Thursday whenever they name their team that it is really too soon. He's miles away from being an All Black. It's not Rogers he hasn't played enough rugby. He missed the MPC through no fault of his own. But why isn't he back doing that now? You know, we've called in a reserve that wasn't even in the squad. So Braden Enor's family are gutted when they hear the all-black team. Then he's called in and he starts. Patrick Tuapoloto, the example of Brody Retallick, the exact same position with a player that's twice as good as Tuapoloto will ever be, in my opinion, came back from Japan and he was average but they rush him straight back into the All Blacks, straight back into the reserves. I mean, we got 3-7. We got a 13, there should be an 11. We got a 15, plant at 14. Why are we doing this rubbish? And it's continual. And it started way back in 2003 with um, John Mitchell with his shambles in Australia. Mm. Rotation, that's the first time we've seen it. And all these riddle words came out. It's rubbish. Like, it's total rubbish. I al- and I just think... I, I almost think we're, we're victims of having so much talent and trying to get them all out on the field. And I think it was you that said... Uh, it was a caller, and I think it was you uh, a few weeks ago that said, Geordie Barrett and Will Jordan, if one of them has to be on the bench, one of them has to be on the bench. That's, a, that, that's because we're spoiled with our riches. But we keep just trying to pack them all on the field. Out of position. I totally agree. But the other thing is, too, like... I heard Forster say on the TV whenever he's on, well, he's not on very often, but he, he almost asked got the question about how do you change players or, you know, actually drop them, and he says how it's so hard because you're getting invited to weddings and christenings. Well, bugger that. Yeah. Like, I mean, you're supposed to be a coach. And mates of mine, I said to Smithy this morning, they were at the distinction because they're the only place they could get a room, and that was through cancellations through the flight. So they were very, very lucky. But, um... They were, they were disappointed with seeing the All Blacks walking around carrying babies and passion wives before a test match. Like, what happened to the old line-out on the car park thing? Yeah. Like, it's all, it's all gone tits up, mate. It's gone to PC nuts. And we've got a nanner of a coach. It's that simple. He's lost the dressing shed. I'm damn sure um, Sam Whitelock has wrote the absolute truth in his player's review, and then he's struggling to go and play for him. Mm. Like, at least the woman addressed it on the player's review. 
But it's getting to the stage we're going to be like the Warriors. Like, it starts at the top. And if they don't address what the players want, because at the end of the day, they're the entertainers, not the coach. This coach is a muppet. Grant Fox has got his hand that far up his rectum, picking every Auckland player he can. At least he's gone. And now Smith can hopefully do something. But the Crusaders showed that where the best players are. Now, it's not the fact they're not Canterbury. They recruit them from all over the country. So I'll be quite happy for Leinster to play the Crusaders next week at Eden Park with probably Christie at halfback if Aaron's going to continually boot the ball away when we haven't got very much. Mm. And put Artie Savier at seven. Let Sam Whitelock captain the ship because he should have got that job way back when they announced Kang as captain. And we might be a chance. Mm. But at the moment, well, it's just... Can Ireland back up? Like that, that's huge for the international game because England certainly couldn't in the World Cup in 2019. They played their final a week too early and then they couldn't do it again because it's such a big deal to beat the All Blacks. Yeah. So did Irishmen, you know. Well, they <clears> never buy another Guinness for the rest of their lives. No, I know. He's my minister when he gets home yeah. and key to the Guinness factory. So good on them. Good on them, Dean. We we got a board full of calls, mate. Appreciate you kicking us off as you often do. Have a great day down there, champion. It's freezing, mate. It's bloody freezing. Well, stay warm. Stay warm. Let's go to Manawatu and talk to Kerry. G'day. Yeah, hey, Staffy. Good, mate. That's good. Um, yeah, I've, well, I'll talk about a bet first. I actually put money on about two two months ago, a drawn series with uh, the All Black Island, paying $41. So, not that I like to have a draw, but draws are quite common in uh, Wellington. Oh, true, they are. Yes, good point. Yep, or if we're going to lose a test, they're in Wellington as well. <laughs> it's not the fortress that other grounds is, is it? No, no. Um, so, yeah, drawn series, 41 bucks. I'll take that. Sit back and watch South, uh, wait for South Africa, but... A good point is um, next year World Cup. Um, the four top-seeded teams at the moment are in two different groups: uh, France, New Zealand, and South Africa and Ireland. So, on paper, at the World Cup, they will play each other in the quarter-final. Those four teams. Jeez. And then a semi-final. So, Only one of those four can yeah. make the final, isn't it? Yeah, uh, no, it'd be two of them because they'll swap back over. Oh, they swap sides. Oh, no, that'd be right. I don't know. Yeah, they, yeah. <clears throat> they definitely, they definitely play each other uh, in the quarterfinals. So it could be France, Ireland, New Zealand, South Africa, or the other way around in the quarterfinal. Mm. Wets the appetite, Kerry. Does wet the appetite. So maybe, maybe they should be looking at yeah the the top four teams from the previous World Cup just go straight into. A pull of their own, and then and then draw from there. I don't know. Mm. Good man, Kerry. Yeah. Thanks for calling up. Buddy. Okay. Good on you, mate. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We've got Zade and, and John online. Stick around, there, fellas. We do have to get a break away, but if you want to join in, oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. Welcome back in 0800 150 811. Tuesday afternoons, midday manners. We go to the life member of the afternoon show, Zaid. G'day, Zaid. Oh, I don't want to be mean, but I just want to say something quickly before I get into talking about the All Blacks. What are you going to say? 
You said uh, Thursday. I know. Sam texts me from home and said, I said Thursday. So that's both of you getting in my grill. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> You're not sorry. You said it, Zade. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hit me with um, your All Black thoughts. So on the All Blacks, well, there's obviously only there's obviously four teams that have only ever, only ever won the World Cup, which is the All Blacks, South Africa, England, and Australia. Yeah. Um, even France's world number one, while they've never proved that they can win a World Cup, they've always ran into the All Blacks in the finals. Um, so I'd be interested to see. Well, you'd say France would be the favourites, but because it is in France. But the thing is, it depends how they go in the quarterfinal because we've seen like they're both they're all going to run into good teams, aren't they? Really. Yeah, because but the thing with that- France is they went real close in 2011. They do have home ground advantage, and I think they've got the best yeah. team they've had for a long time. They got the Grand Slam for the first time in 12 years in the Six Nations. They're yeah. flying at the moment, and I think the most important part of form or reading a team is currency, is recent form. And just the, the pressure of the quarterfinal, because who's the four is it? It's France, Ireland, South Africa, and the All Blacks will probably make the quarterfinals, won't they? Yeah. Will be the will play two of them will play each other. Well, the All Blacks obviously can't play France in the quarterfinals because they're in the same pool. So either the probably the France might play is because um, is the other group is it South Af- is South Africa and Ireland the other group? So us two are going to play those two probably. Mm. So that pens would be the easier easier game. There's going to be some um, big games early on in the tournament. Big games. And, and last, last time you were like seeing France miserably, didn't they? As well. Yeah. In the World Cup. Yeah. 2007. And um, I've been to see how the Māori All Blacks go tonight. Uh, probably wet conditions. Um, great occasion. Great TJ Perinara captaining the Māori All Blacks for the first ever time. As, um, you know, obviously that's, that's all his roots. He is a Māori. So it's going to be a great game tonight. Um I hope the Moody All Blacks will do it. I hope maybe Moody All Blacks may one to 12 because uh, the Irish will be resting a few players and they might be a bit tired if some of them are backing up from Saturday night. So mm. I think hopefully the Moody All Blacks will win um, tonight. Um, I'd like them to win, obviously, because I'm from New Zealand. So I'm <laughs> back in the Moody All Blacks. Um, and I think the All Blacks might just be too strong for Ireland on Saturday. I think they've got their one game and they've won one, but um, you can still think, and I think Will Jordan needs to start on Saturday night. He's got through his COVID and he, he needs to start. Um, and obviously there's going to have to be some changes in the props with Angus out. Um, it'll be interesting to see if someone like a Tupo Valle comes back into the fold. Now he would probably be back from COVID maybe on the bench or something. Because um, you're still going to start with Barrett and Rattel, aren't you? Because Whitelock probably won't be able to play because of the 12-day stand-down for concussion. Is, is that right? Well, it would have been 14 days. It would have been 14. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he might so be available. Be by then? Might be. Okay, might be. Might I guess be we'll find out Thursday. Well, you start, you start with White Lock, obviously, if he's available, yeah. Mm. yeah. All right, Zay. I'd, we... I'd love him to be the captain, but yeah. he's probably too old. and Yeah, but yeah. he's definitely the best, most experienced player in the All Blacks. If you were to have a captain other than Sam Kane, that would be mine. Yeah. Um, for the World Cup next year, but it's just whether... He's not that young as he, so probably Artie Savia wouldn't be a bad option either mm. as a captain because he's going to have to. He starts every game and he is the best eight in New Zealand. I wouldn't muck around and chuck him at seven like Dino's trying to say. He's just eight and eight, and that's it. He's eight, number eight. That's All right, Zay, we've got to go to news, but before I let you go, just remember that today is Tuesday, okay? It's not Thursday.
Tuesday. Tuesday. Good man. That's eight out of Auckland. Uh, we'll have a quick two-minute news break, and we'll come back with Tristan out of Canterbury. Well, listen, Buster, you better start to move your feet to the rockin'est beat of madness. Tell you what, Dino's got a big fan club. God, I love Dean. This is three texts. God, I love Dean. Just love Dino's passion and Dean for PM. Don't normally read the texts, but just passing that on, Dino, as you navigate your way through a very cold Dunedin. 0800-150-811. Talking about the power rankings, what teams you're worried about as we are. That World Cup's going to come and bite us on the bum before you know it. Who are you worried about? What are your observations? We go down to Canterbury and we talk to Tristan. G'day, Tristan. Apart from the weather, it's, uh, everything else is all good down here. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the same around the um, whole country, mate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I just want to rattle off what I was going to ring up yesterday and that, but there's a lot of calls going in, so I sort of leave it till today. So my concerns that the All Blacks have got a few points to rattle off. Well, leading into Saturday night, I went down to the game in Dunedin. I just knew the Irish would improve, but was less convinced on the All Blacks' performance at Eden Park just by the, the, just the way the tries were scored against the run of play and the way the Irish looked with the ball in hand. I could just I just knew that it was just yeah something just seemed off when I went into the game in Dunedin. It's just a big worry in our skill sets at times, especially when under pressure, just fundamental drop balls, unforced errors are starting to creep into our game, which we've seen signs of that last year on the end of year tour. I mean, that's just not the All Blacks way. Like, since the last World Cup, there's been a noticeable skill set there, just in basic ball handling, ball handling and movement of the ball, which has been what set the ABs apart from the rest of the world. But it doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Like, without question, like, the rest of the world is definitely caught up, without question. And, for instance, you look at the Irish, like, the way they play. They've got a type five that you see running into holes out in the wide channels, running good lines, they can ball play. They, they You know, that used to be us. Now they're doing it with confidence. You could argue they're better than us now in that respect. England are doing it. France, Wales, Australia are improving all the time. Like, you know, I think we're in a bit of trouble. Like, I have my concerns leading into next weekend, you know, let alone the Bledisloe Cup, World Cup's just another story. But, yeah, I don't know what you think of that, but there's definitely some issues there. Like, it has to be a coaching problem. Like, a lot is said about Sam Kane. He seems to be copping all the criticism, but I think there's a lot more going into it than Sam Kane. I think it's just the main issue is just the game plan. Like, the All Blacks, you look at them in the Super Rugby teams and their franchises. You use the Crusaders for a fine example up against the Blues. Like that, all those players there were in form. But when you, just same as last year, you could argue, and as soon as they go into that all black environment, something just seems to be a bit off. Like they're not buying into the game plan that Ian Foster, Plumtree, etc., have got them going. Whether it's to do with the training, I'm not sure. But I think there's a major problem in the in the setup within the All Black camp itself, not the players. Mm. I, I've I've been thinking about it the last couple of days, and maybe we don't realise how spoiled we are when we had Carter, Nonu, Smith, when we had Kieran Reid, Richie McCaw, when we had all of those locked in solid combinations, and we roared. We were the best in the, in the world, and then they dropped off in a relatively close space of time from each other. And they're generational players. And when you've got your 10, 12, 13 and your loose forward trios and even our front rows, all of those combinations locked in and play together for so long. And we've had so much 
changes, so many changes, we've never had the ability to create combinations that are sticking. And I just feel like we got so used to our world dominance. Yes, I think we've regressed because we haven't replaced the players like for like because they're just not there. And that's made it look like the rest of the world's caught up. I think we've gone back and they've gone up and now we're sort of even Stevens. Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, um, they, they always talk about the All Blacks after a loss, that there'll be a backlash this weekend. But, you know, these days, you know, just the way the All Blacks are played, like, I'm not overly confident this weekend. Like, in past All Black sides, I'd have been confident of an All Black victory. But just the way they've been playing, like, we don't even know what the combinations are going to be this weekend. There has to be changes without doubt. With obviously, injury is going to be forced into it. But the midfield, I feel there needs to be a change at second five with perhaps Havili and then, obviously, Will Jordan has to come back in, but the loose forward trio, I'm not sure. They can't go with the same three that they had in the weekend. They're going to have to make some changes there, but yeah, again, changing the team, whether they're going to be, you know, work together as a combination, on, but they're going to have to this weekend. It's, uh, I mean, I can't afford to lose this, the series. No, I think I think the players will respond with a rocket up their jacksie and determine to make amends for last weekend. But it's a different group of soldiers with, as you've said, I think their skill set's a little bit lower. It's still high, but it's a little bit lower than what we would like and what we were used to. That's bored us about as fans. Um, Not complacency, but maybe our expectations have stayed the same when our playing stocks have dropped off a bit. No, absolutely. Mm. Uh, Thanks for that, Savvy. Great call, Tristan. Fantastic call. Um, And someone's just said, don't forget, with all those players, Wayne Smith, Almost, uh, he left uh, around those players' times. Um, gosh, I just rate Wayne Smith so highly, so highly. Uh, and he had so much to do. Like, you talk to Ma Nonu and ask him the biggest influence in his career, Wayne Smith. Oh, and his mum. But Wayne Smith. Yeah, 0800 150 811 is the number. If you weren't aware, the new, the new rankings, which <clears throat> after the weekend's results sit like this. Number one, France. Number two, Ireland. Number three, South Africa. Number four, New Zealand. Five, England. Six, Australia. Seven, Scotland. Eight, Wales. Nine, Argentina. And ten, Japan. So it's the first time ever that France have been number one. Um, South Africa were number one, but France took that over. And of course, South Africa are the World Cup holders. First time since 2003 when the rankings came in. So what's that, 20 years? Um, And South Africa dropped from one to three because they lost to Wales at home. Interestingly, South Africa made 14 changes from the first test to the second test, I think I heard the commentator say. So did they they think that test was expendable? Maybe they're using it as trials? I don't know. Ireland, yeah, number two. I don't know if they've ever been that high. That potentially they have been high, but the All Blacks at number four, that is their lowest ranking ever. Ever. That's concerning. England are up to fifth and Aussie down to sixth, so they swap places. They were the other way around. And as I say, Scotland, seventh, Argentina, eighth. And all test series are now 1-1. We go shortly to a break, and on the other side we're going to have a chat to... Ed, my old mate Ed from Tolaga Bay, he's always full of wisdom and passion, so looking forward to that chat. If you want to join him, 0800 150 811, back in a moment. Can we go to Tolaga Bay and our good mate Ed. G'day, Ed. 
Hey, g'day, Steffi. East Coast rising. Yeah, boy. <laughs> yeah, boy. I hope the sea's not rising with all this rain, mate. Oh, no. Oh, that's, that's that new program for Jose here. But I wanted to talk about how poor old Sam Kane got cleaned up, you know, their pass and their follow-up came in and ironed them out. Yeah, he did. He folded well, I, used to, I used to do that for the coast. You what, sorry? Time on me. I used to do that for the East Coast. Did you? <laughs> we had a game against uh, Waikato in the preseason. Poor old Aaron Hopper was playing for them. And um, I just happened to D up in the in the back line, and, and the ball came out, and I lined up the number 12. And just as he passed the ball, my shoulder met him in the ribs, and he crumpled. Boom. Did you Straight have a did you have, did you have a word to him? Oh yeah, I patted him on the back and said, "Bro, you're all right, you're all right." <laughs> and then um, I coached Grumbly. He goes, "Bro, you don't say you're all right to the player on the ground." I'm going, "Bro, oh man, alive!" <laughs> but yeah, I want to see the All Blacks do that, man. Timing and the tackles. Oh man, get that first five, six, and. Someone from the backs, like the centre, just coming from his blind side as soon as he gets the ball, bang! <laughs> know all about it. Frank Bunce can do it. Yeah, mate, Frank Bunce, get him on. Just just sub him on for five minutes and with, with that as his job oh. description. Yeah, man, you know, anyone can do it. It's just the timing. I just want to see that happen. Bro, I did it to Richard Turner. Did you? Seven. <laughs> did you know yeah, Richard, Richard but... Turner's birthday today? He's 51. Bro, Man, we played him in the sevens, North Harbour, and um, I told my mate, my um, my um, my mate Donald Cameron, Donald, just dive at him, and he's gonna step, and he'll step straight into my shoulder, and that's exactly what he did, bro. <laughs> he took the head up off the kickoff, ran straight. Donald dived at him, he stepped, and I just came in under his puku, bang with my shoulder. The ball bounced forward, he knocked it on. Bro, I tell you what, Staffy, I did it twice. Oh, did you? Yeah, we kicked off again because North Harbour were giving it to us. They were thrashing us, but um, we, you know we had practice kicking off, and he had practice running it up. But I got him in the. We did it again. I said, "Donald, do it again," and he stepped the same way. Whack! I got him again. <laughs> Mate, oh, they they need you in there as a, as a defence hitman coach. Well, it's pretty easy. Uh, you know, if you got a, um, a good um, you got a good centres or whatever, and they're quick. Boy, you just get up fast. If you can read it, get up fast on your pointer. Stabby, when I was playing for Otar against Otahu, um, back in 96, um, Eddie Toby was the halfback for um, Otahu. And he was covering up our team. And I got subbed on in the second half. And then, um, oh, the young fella, he ran my way. Oh, boy, he didn't know what hit him. <laughs> Bang, got him. He was, you know, he was trying to, you know, look around who he's got to pass to. Bang. Shoulder straight into him. Anyway, he got up not happy. But then five minutes later, they ran the same way, and I was still out there, and I was getting Hey, didn't you see me the first time? And this time, I crumpled him. Crack! <laughs> and then put him off his game step. And Otara won the first time in 15 years we beat Otahu on their home ground. Oh, that's all we need, man. We need someone to be just like that, take out those Take out those players, whack them. You know, it's a, it's legal. Just as they pass the ball, smash them. <laughs> or just just as you know how you know how Sammy was waiting for the ball, bang! Just as he gets it, whack. I like Bro, it. Bro, I did that against Taranaki. 
You know Bull Allen? Yes, I know Bull Allen. Well, Bull Allen, he put a hand in my face, fending me off, but it wasn't him. But it was his lock. He was the biggest guy I've ever seen play for Tara on the field. But anyway, somebody threw him a hospital pass. And guess what? I was the fellow. Oh, bro. He was waiting and waiting for the score to get to him. And I came in with a shoulder right under his ribs. Whack! But he was that big. I don't know if he felt that. Mate, I feel bruised all over with these yarns. I save these for when I'm drinking with my nephews. But anyway, I've given them to you there, Steph. Top man. Hey, listen, uh, just before you go, in August, I'm having a couple of weeks off for me and my sister. We're going to do a road trip around the East Cape, and we'll be coming through Tolaga Bay and Tokamaru Bay and reconnecting with my uh, parents' roots. So I'm going to hit you up. Oh, no, man. August. Oh, wow, because my, my brother's been passed for 10 years, and we're going... And the final coming back from Australia, and we're going to go to the Urupa and the old on Tofari Power Road in Tolaka Bay, and just have a little uh, mihi with the bro. Nice. Oh wow, um, that's about the fifteenth of August or something, there, my brother. Yeah, I think we're somewhere around the eighth, ninth, something like that. But I'll let you know, Ed, and we'll have a cup of tea. Come on, bro. All right, there's Ed Tolaka Bay. Love him. We'll be back in a moment. Uh, something I discovered this morning was Ireland would have come out as the number one ranking team, uh, but for Will Jordan's late try. So it was an 11-point win. If it was a 16-point win, Ireland would have gone to top of the rankings. Fantastic for them. Um, and then I just had a quick squiz. And here's what the teams, that those top four teams have been doing. So France, uh, their last seven games, Italy, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, England, Japan, Japan, won them all. Ireland... Uh, have beaten, they've had eight games, they've lost two. So they've won six, lost two. They're two losses, New Zealand in the first test and France in the Six Nations. Uh, South Africa this year have only had the two games, one win, one loss, same with New Zealand, one win, one loss. But looking at the rest of the year, so France in November have Australia, South Africa, Japan. Ireland have USA, I think, yeah, USA, South Africa, Fiji, Australia. Um, then South Africa, they've got the Tri-Nations where they um, play New Zealand twice at home, Australia twice away, and then a home and away, Argentina. Uh, and then the Northern Hemisphere Tour, they get Ireland, France, Italy, England. So the Northern Hemisphere Tour, yeah, they get Ireland, France, Italy, England. We get Wales, Scotland, England. And I think there might be a Japan chucked in there somewhere as well. So just looking at those, they're two very different preparations, aren't they, with when the guts of their games are played and how that measures up for a World Cup preparation. Uh, Given that from after this weekend, for the rest of this year, South Africa have 10 games. New Zealand have nine, maybe 10, if there's a Japan game in there. Ireland just have four, and France just have three. So I'm wondering, you know, how they manage fatigue and... All of that sort of stuff. I'm wondering who that's favouring. I'm not quite sure who that's favouring. I also had a look around the um, the world betting markets. Pretty much everywhere has France and New Zealand joint favourites. And then the path of favouritism after that is identical around the world. So it goes France, New Zealand, joint favourites, and then England, then South Africa, 
then Australia, then Ireland. So Ireland's still only ranked as the sixth favourite for a World Cup. Uh, Good news, Chris Pollock will join the show at about 2.15 to try and throw some light on uh, some of the decisions and and bits and pieces from the test weekend. Uh, The newly appointed head of New Zealand referees. Looking forward to chatting to him at 2.15. And in the next hour, we're going to talk to Andy Rowe out of the rugby pod from the UK. Caller of the day. Caller of the day. Went to a $50 TRB bonus bet. It's going out to Tristan out of Canterbury. Great call. Tried to get through yesterday, uh, but we were swamped yesterday, which I absolutely love. I don't want to deter that. We love hearing your opinions and your voice and being part of the conversation. So Tristan, uh, Neeps or Jake or someone will get in touch with you. Jake's going to get in touch with you. And um, well done. $50 TRB bonus bet up for grabs every day for midday. Madness. Also coming up today, we have Mastermind. Ken's going to take on the 1981 Springbok Tour of New Zealand. If you want to take part in Mastermind, text us through 8833, the Temper Bed Post text machine is the number to put in your entry. And didn't take long for us to get a little bit thin on subjects, so do have a go. And up for grabs each week is a $100, uh, $100 voucher from Lifestyle Focus. Go on there and have a look and solve your living problems. Solve life's problems. Um, thanks to Lifestyle Focus, the great crew. Of course, they've got that wonderful product, Spray and Goat. Stronger than the other ones you can get on the market. It works fast. And my roof is the endorsement, the only endorsement I need. I thought it would take a month. It took about three days, and most of it was gone. Thanks to me spraying at the right time, and then it deluged with rain about two days later. I'll call that perfect planning. But Lifestyle Focus, $100 voucher from them each week for the highest score each week. Awesome, awesome. So double eight, double three. chuck through what your mastermind subject would be. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's all good fun. Doesn't cost you anything. Uh, some texts from the last hour. Hi, Steffi. In my view, Ireland are not the team of the future or the team to beat at the World Cup because their whole game is around Sexton, who's 37 years of age, and they are nothing without him running things. And how's he going to play seven games to win the World Cup? So their future does not look good. He can probably get away with playing five. There's probably two that that he could either play half a game or not at all. But yeah, it's a big ask. Of course, I I guess he's going to be 38 then. What a wonderful player he is, though. Uh, The future doesn't look good for them, but the All Blacks and France do. And that's what the final will be. I have the faith, especially with the former Island coach coming in after this series. Carrie from Wanganui. I must look up, actually, because as we mentioned, um, uh, France, where's my bit of paper? All on the same side of the draw are France, New Zealand, South Africa and Ireland. Um, so they're going to play each other in the quarters. Do then they swap sides so the two winners won't play each other? Maybe they swap sides. And so I guess the other side of the draw is going to be something like England, Australia, probably Wales, and then one of Scotland, Argentina, Japan. Maybe Fiji could cause a big shock. Um, I must find out if they do swap. If you know, just let me know if they swap swap sides of the draw after the quarters. Uh, thanks for the test, uh, text, Kerry, out of Wanganui. Um, oh, here's a big one. Here's a big one. And it's from, scroll all the way, Jeremy. 
Jeremy Scott for a text. Hey, Steph, for me, for me the game was a write-off at, with 14 men for 60 minutes. Aside from that, it was the drop balls when building. That's a personal thing, not coaching. They left one or two rucks unattended and got turned over, and that hurt bad. I'd go with the same team, barring injuries, keeping 15 on, hopefully. Ireland only won 13-12 in the last 60 minutes when we had 40 men. 14 men. We are in a good position to build quietly in the background for the Rugby World Cup right now. Nice. I'm, I'm not writing us off, but I think going into a World Cup, this is probably the least confident I've been. I'm not prepared to say they won't win. I think this is going to be their hardest World Cup to win, given that it's in France. France are in form. Um, they've ironed out their relationships between their club owners and French rugby. Um, they just look like a team on the absolute rise. Adam says, Staff, I've got a question for you. If we lose the series, will it take losing the Bledisloe Cup before we get proper answers about Foster and Kane's standing? Colin's main, Colin Mainsbridge sounded like he's accepting that Razor Robertson won't be hanging around next year. Best case scenario this year is best realistic case scenario for me this year for the All Blacks is we beat Ireland, so we don't drop the series. We go to South Africa, away, we pick one of those up. Have to pick one of those up. Um, Not excusing a loss, but tough old gig. Back-to-back games in South Africa. Then we play Argentina twice at home. We've got to win both those. Australia away, then Australia home. We've got to win both of those. Then we go North, Wales, Scotland, England. We've got to win all of those. Could we, we could probably drop one out of Australia, Australia, Wales, Scotland, England. We could probably afford to lose one of those. Worst case scenario, we lose to Ireland this week. We lose both to South Africa away. I still think we beat Argentina twice, even though they did beat us not long ago. Worst case scenario, we drop a game to Australia. Surely we can beat them at home. And then we drop one in the Northern Hemisphere. If that's the scenario, if the worst case scenario, what do we do about coaching captain? And I don't want to be a doomsayer, but I think that's, that's a realistic outcome. I won't be shocked if we lost both, if we lost to Ireland and then lost both to South Africa. I'm not wanting it to happen, but... That wouldn't shock me. And then we dropped one to Australia and then dropped one to either Wales or England. That's a lot of losses. That's one, two, three, four, five losses again this season. I don't know, Adam. I don't know. I just can't see them changing coach and captain now or even at the end of the year and give a new coach and captain either either, one or both. Um, a few months to build to a World Cup. I mean, even if they lost to Ireland, both to South Africa, one to Argentina, both to Australia and a couple Northern Hemisphere, I can't see that happening, but imagine if it did. Oh, my God. I don't know what it's going to take for changes at the top. I actually don't think we will see it. 
the yeah, I don't think we will see it regardless of what what happens. Uh, Richie's text in and said, "How funny is Ed? Boys love him. Good on you, Richie. Yeah, we love Ed too." Hi, Staffy. My top six in order come World Cup. Now this is from Ken. He is a rugby aficionado. My top six in order come World Cup. England. This is in order. England, France, New Zealand, South Africa, Australia, then Ireland or Wales. I hope I'm wrong, and I'm sure Fozzie has us up to speed by then. He makes some hard choices within the next few weeks. Jeez, Ken, he's going to have to make some choices and potentially stick with them. Um Dino is right. Foster has lost to the dressing room. Too many Blues players. Rico is a great winger, but a terrible centre. Kane hasn't played enough rugby. Tuipiloto shouldn't have been called in when we have other fantastic locks in the country. Jordan should be our fullback. He was the best player in Super Rugby this year. Barrett looks lost. France at home is a big plus. South Africa, England, Ireland, New Zealand, Australia. That is that texter and there. Um, their power rankings South Africa top or France maybe top then South Africa England Ireland New Zealand Australia we are going to take a break I see John's ringing but John we've got to take a break because after the break we are going to chat to Andy Rowe he is um, he's got a he's got a podcast actually called the Andy Rowe podcast or the Andy Rowe show and he talks to some really interesting people but he also co-hosts the most listened to rugby podcast in the Northern Hemisphere alongside Andy Good, who's the most capped premiership player. Um, had a number of clubs as well. You probably remember him. Had an unfortunate hairline, similar to my own. Uh, but Andy Good and uh, Andy Rowe is the co-host. So we are going to go Northern Hemisphere. We're going to chat to him about the reaction to the results that we saw across the weekend in those Northern Hemisphere tests and the Southern Hemisphere tests. Andy Rowe, after the break. Now, reluctantly, got the wood over every Southern Hemisphere team uh, in the rugby this weekend, and it has been the top of conversation for the last two days here on SCNZ. But joining us is a man uh, not unfamiliar to the New Zealand media landscape, but he makes his home in the UK now. It's Andy Rowe, uh, one of the hosts of the Rugby Pod up there in the UK. G'day, Andy. G'day, mate. Thanks for having me on. That's Good all- to hear Kiwi accent, a Kiwi boy. Yeah, well, yours is still very Kiwi, and you've been up there a long, long time. I know, I know. I get that all the time, or I get it, or like probably every day I get, are you Australian or <laughs> are you Kiwi? And it's usually, they usually go to Australian, which is like the, the worst thing they could probably say to me, but that just goes to show that, uh, hey, I, I haven't forgotten my roots, you know. I'm, I'm still as Kiwi as they come. Good boy. Good boy. So has it been a difficult last few days copping it from all the Northern Hemisphere? Or just maybe just give us a pricey of, of, of the reaction to um, the Northern Hemisphere's wonderful weekend of rugby. Yeah, well, for a start, let's talk about the, the game in Dunedin. And I think, like, everyone's forgotten that we only had 13 or 12 players on the field at one point. So... Yeah, they, they are talking it up. It is a big win for them. And fair enough, I suppose. Look, they, they were ahead when they had 15 on the field, as Johnny Sexton said. But uh, this is a historic, another historic victory for Ireland over the All Blacks. It seems like they're making a habit of it. And, you know, how long are these historic labels are they gonna, how long are they going to label every game a historic win for them? But um, they're, they're, pretty, they're pretty happy. And, uh, you know, the, the All Blacks still haven't lost their shine as, as far as, like, you know, I was talking to a, uh, Jim, who hosts 
he's a former Scottish international who uh, hosts the rugby pod with me, and just sort of asked them, you know, what what do you how do you guys view the All Blacks now? Are they are they still are they still get the got that aura? Are they still um, the, the the pinnacle? And absolutely, they are, they are still the, the team everyone wants to be. And you know what? Sometimes we don't realise is yeah, we get fired up for the harker and things, but that's the dream of so many players when they like from the northern hemisphere is to face the harker. Like it's so cool hearing stories and how how much of a life highlight that is for a player to play against your base, but they always talk about facing the harker. And that's the bit that kind of often gets overlooked is how much that fires up the opposition, just as much as it might fire up the people that are doing it. So, yeah, the, the All Blacks are still considered over here by the majority to be the best in the world and, and the team that everyone wants to be. So there's nothing the, – the shine hasn't been taken off, but when you do look at – you know, the, obviously the, the comments, but yeah, I, heard, I don't know if you picked it up, but it was, uh, Pedro Mahoney when he talked about Sam Kane being a poor man's Richie McCaw. Yeah, there, there are question marks around Sam Kane. There are a lot of question marks over here of whether or not he's good enough to be A, in the All Blacks, and B, uh, the All Blacks captain. And they don't sort of look at him and think, oh, he's going to be a guy that could change the game for New Zealand he's uh, they're looking at it more of like you know, we are missing a McCaw Reed is like um, hard hard nosed approach that with that certain dynamic ability that those two those two guys had in particular and there are question marks around that has New Zealand got now a little bit of a soft underbelly when it comes to the loose forwards they're not the threat that we used to be um, then we're looking at you know Eddie Jones hats that to win, didn't he? Like yeah. it's, it's one. It's, every every day is different. Um, every week's different with that. So, you know, the the Wallabies, um, I think, are underrated as far by the by the Northern Hemisphere. And um, so, when they lost, when the English lost the Wallabies, it was a massive shock for them. Uh, you know, the English are just as arrogant as Kiwis when it comes to our rugby. Like we're they're pretty. A pretty confident bunch, and 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 had high expectations of doing well in Australia. And um, when things don't go well, Eddie cops it, and probably rightly so with the way that he behaves in the media. He kind of asks for it to kind of deflect off the way the team's performed. Uh, and then you know Wales weren't given a shot, were they? No, Wales weren't given a shot in, in South Africa. But when you look at that Wales team, they were full noise. They were fully loaded um, when they went over to South Africa. So they're always going to be a chance, but. Yeah, you'd expect you'd expect South Africa to be bouncing back pretty strong, um, and that's that's kind of the, the feeling is that you you know you're looking at South Africa from the Northern Hemisphere's perspective as, as favourites, and then also um, but but then uh, maybe England England favourites of the Wallabies, and then anything could happen on that island uh, All Blacks game. I wanted to ask you about coaching and how the public and the media in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, talk about coaching because Dave, Dave Rennie, the Kiwi, in charge of the Wallabies, Eddie Jones, the Aussie, in charge of England, Andy Farrell, the Pom, in charge of uh, Ireland, uh, Wayne Pivak, a Kiwi, in charge of Wales, and it's only ever been Kiwi in charge of New Zealand. Is is it time or do they talk about the way New Zealand approach coaching and, and recruit their coaching, etc.? It's weird. 
weird, isn't it? Because not really. They talk about always their approach to coaching is he's the best guy we can possibly get. Whereas from a New Zealand perspective, we look at who's the best person, who's the best Kiwi that we can get to, which is probably going to be the best person that you're going to be able to get. But who's the best Kiwi that we can get to coach our, our team? Whereas other teams just look at who is the best person in the world that is available that could come and coach our team. And that's the difference, I think, in that they don't mind they don't mind where that person comes from. They just care about their, their track record and whether they could do a good job with whether whether it be England, whether it be Wales, and even France, you know. France have got an Englishman assistant coach there as well that's made a, a, a massive difference. So, you know, it, it doesn't bother them where where their coaches come from as long as as long as that as as they're the best that they can get. Um, but I guess, like, you know, New Zealand is known for always, like, producing good coaches and having good rugby knowledge. And, you know, if you if you sit in a crowd in New Zealand, if you sit in Eden Park and you watch a game, you hear people talking and you under, and you hear that they... People have opinions. You may or may not agree with them, but by and large, the New Zealand public understands rugby and they understand the nuances that go with it. If you sit in a crowd in the Northern Hemisphere, I would say Ireland's probably the worst. They don't necessarily understand the game, mm. and they've done more. So, so there is that respect on a level that the New Zealand coaches, by and large, as they've been successful, have this like level of knowledge that's probably um, the best that they can possibly get their hands on, and, and they tend to do that. What about um, the pecking order? So, amongst the rugby scribes and the journalists up there, I mean, down here, mm-hmm. Southern Hemisphere, we're going France uh, as we, you know, uh, advance ahead to the World Cup. France favourites, mm-hmm. and then you can throw the blanket yeah. over the rest. The Northern Hemisphere, do they do they entertain the fact that France are probably the best in the world at the moment? Yeah, I think I think there's a a consensus across the world, especially in yeah, Northern Hemisphere, I understand that France is just, they're, they're next level. They've got the flair, they've also got the defence, and they've got, they've, they're organised. They're, they're organised, and that's not something you'd usually say for French teams. And, you know, in the past, French teams have been renowned for having that big mistake in them. And this team just doesn't have that. And so, yeah, they are considered to be the favourites for the World Cup. New Zealand is also considered to be a favourite because that's the thing. Like, I look at the All Blacks, and I don't know what about you, Steph, but I look at the All Blacks, and I don't even feel like they're close to being favourites for the next World Cup. I don't, yeah. But if you look, if you look at any, um, like, if you look at Paddy Power, which is the TAB version over here, if you look at any bookie, the All Blacks are always the favourites. And, and it's... The, the scribes and the guys that I talk to, the guys that I do the podcast with, you know, they've played international rugby. They watch a lot of rugby. They are pundits. They live and breathe this thing called rugby. It is all they talk about, all they think about. They've got good knowledge on rugby. They always refer to New Zealand as being one of the favourites. Um, but the, as the peaking order goes, you know, it, it, it is France. Then maybe... Um, you could say, yeah, Ireland, South Africa, New Zealand. Have I missed anyone big? Have I missed anyone big? I don't want to overlook it. <laughs> You've uh, missed uh, England. Uh, roll. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Yeah, well, England, England are like, England are like one of that same. I, 
I put them in the same bracket as New Zealand at the moment. Like they're going to be good, and and when they want to be good, they're going to be able to turn it on. Like England on the weekend, you know, they could, they went back to their roots. They went direct. They Genji like sitting Hooper down on his ass right at the start. Like that's that they can be very very good, but then they can be very very average, which is kind of similar feeling that we've got towards the Bulldogs at the moment. But yeah, that, it is what it is a similar picking order to what you what we what we think in New Zealand. Mm. Uh, talking to Andy Rowe out of the UK Andy the last thing I wanted to ask you about was the transition or the the welcome mat has been thrown open for former rugby league heads uh, to help out rugby union and uh, particularly in the defensive um, areas and Andy Farrell's the, the most recent example but Sean Edwards for a long time is a resource regarded as very valuable in that area. Is that something you're seeing maybe in the level below, maybe in your premiership up there um, with leagueies getting involved? Yeah, well it, it is something that they do tend to lean on over here. The, the game over here is a very, very systematic, like it's a lot more structured than New Zealand rugby. Uh, it's it's very defensive orientated when it comes to the the patterns that they run and how they how they approach a great game. And if you look at the premiership champions for this year, the Leicester Tigers, have got Kevin Sinfield in there, mm. um, one of the greatest rugby league players that we've ever done it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's something that they they do tend to get into because yeah yeah you've got Sean Edwards as he said and. Um, and yeah, Farrell obviously is a, is a league expert as well, um, legend. So, you know, it's something that they, they really do lean on over here. It's something that I don't know if it's a new trend, but like it is something that uh, has been proven successful and that they are doing it in the Premiership as well. Brilliant. Oh, well, Andy, we've got to push on. So I will leave you to your warm beer and your chips and mayo. Um, hopefully, you haven't transitioned that far. <laughs> Not quite, not quite. <laughs> cold beer at two degrees here at the moment. <laughs> awesome, Andy. Great to catch up, mate. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. If there's anyone out there, Neeps, that makes music that doesn't look like the music that they would make, it's that guy, Post Malone. I know. He's he's incredible, man. I reckon he's so good. And the fact that he's coming with the Foo Fo- ah, sorry, the Red Hot Chili Peppers is fantastic because he's a country musician at heart. Mm. He's covered Bob Dylan songs. He's covered Hootie and the Blowfish. He's fantastic. I'm just wondering, they're two very different genres, the Chili's and Post Malone. Well, see, that's the thing, is Post can do the Chili's genre if he wants to. He's so well-rounded. He can do a great job of anything he wants to do because his voice is so universal, I think. Because the thing is, Post Malone fans will probably buy tickets to the Chili's. Exactly. I think it's the best marketing scheme from the both of them that you could possibly do. Like, the Chili's get all those younger people, bringing a whole new demographic into them. And then Post Malone gets all these older demographic that are really into the chili. So it's fantastic for both of them. Yeah, good good deal. Good deal. Um, we've potentially got a new thing coming up on the show tomorrow. Um, might be next Wednesday. But we're just going to... We've got a guy here who who thinks laterally. He's a bit weird. But um, he's, not, he's not a host. He's not a producer. He just sits out there beaming. And um, he's got these really weird theories on life. But some of them are quite good. Like, he, he, he comes up with, like, solutions to things that you just wouldn't think of. So we're going to pick his brain each Wednesday after, um, after the chase. He's a smart man.
I've lived with him for almost three years now. He's one of my good mates. And, you know, he's got a solution for everything. Yeah. And if he hasn't, he just makes it up. Exactly. Like, makes it seem like it. Like, for example, and he's so convincing. Today, um, we were talking about what, what we're doing. He goes, so what sort of things? And I said, oh, and I just pick something topical like um, the price of petrol. Everyone's going on about how expensive petrol is. And I said, so if you could come up with some, you know, economical ideas or, or how we could sort of combat that. And he said, well, did you know that if you put half a teaspoon of salt into your petrol tank <laughs> when you fill it, um, you'll get 5% more um, life out of your petrol? And I said, really? And he said, no. <laughs> but it was so believable. Do you know what his solution to petrol was? What? Get me to drive him anywhere and he doesn't have to pay for it. Oh. <laughs> One of those guys. One of those guys. But yeah, life hacks, uh, problems to solutions that he's thought about because he's, he's a pretty weird dude and I just think he's wasted out there in the main office. So um, B-Man with a plan or something like that we're going to roll with. Don't know if it'll happen tomorrow, but uh, definitely from next week, but potentially tomorrow. A story's come across... Um, across my iPhone, actually. Someone sent me a link to this. This is interesting. It's just coming out. Uh, it's coming out today. Interesting. Indian police say a gang went to great lengths in a betting scam. The gang set up a fake Indian Premier League tournament with farm labourers acting as players to dupe Russian punters in a betting scam. The so-called India Indian Premier League sorry, the Indian Premier Cricket League, reached the quarterfinal stage before it was busted by police in India. The tournament began three weeks after the actual IPL concluded in May. And according to police, uh, sorry, according to police, but that provided no hindrance to the gang, which they said leased a remote farm in the western state of Gujarat. They installed a cricket pitch complete with boundary lines and halogen lamps. Um, besides this, the accused had set up high-resolution cameras on the ground and used computer-generated graphics to display scores on a live-streaming screen. The gang allegedly hired labourers and unemployed young people, paying them £4.20 a game, and broadcast the matches on a YouTube channel called IPL. Players took turns to wear jerseys of the Chennai Super Kings, Mumbai Indians and the Gujarat Titans police said, acting on the instructions of the Russia-based mastermind. Crowd noise sound effects were downloaded from the internet and a speaker with a knack for mimicking one of the IPL's real Indian commentators was used to make the tournament appear authentic. At the same time, the camera operator made sure the entire ground was not shown, beaming close-ups of the players instead. Russian punters were lured into betting their rubles on a telegram channel set up by the gang, who would then alert the fake umpire on the pitch using walkie-talkies. The supposed official would signal the bowler and batsman to hit a six, a four, or to get out. A quarterfinal match was being played when we got the tip-off and we busted the racket, the police said. The accused had received a first instalment of more than 300,000 rupees from the punters in Russia. The scheme has echoes of The Sting, starring Paul Newman, Robert Redford, in which a group of con artists set up a fake betting operation in, in order to defraud a gangster. Uh, the Border Control for Cricket in India have declined to comment. The links they go to, that's... <laughs> and then I, I've actually been sent a video of the actual game, and it clearly is a paddock on a fake wicket, but they are wearing the IPL uniforms. And uh, but geez, if you just look at the bowling action and the batting form, um, quite bad. 
the umpire looks drunk. Uh, and the delivery they show is um, a pretty uh, – there was a wide and then a boundary – but the camera never leaves the down-the-wicket shot, so you can't see that they're actually on a farm. It looks and sounds like a stadium, but they, they have a locked-off shot looking down the wicket of just the two batsmen, the keeper, the umpire, and the bowler, and that's it. And they were duped. That's unbelievable. <laughs> Holy moly. <laughs> and they got to the quarterfinals. <laughs> so I don't know how many games. And these labourers and teenagers earning four pounds a day, uh, they'd be loving their work. Cold hard cash. Yeah. So let's set up a Rugby World Cup after the Rugby World Cup. I reckon. Yeah. I'll get on the field, dislocate my shoulder a couple times. I'll tell you what, Ev from Tolaga Bay, he'll be in. Yeah, he'll smash me. He'll, <laughs> yeah, get, he'll, he'll smash me. My shoulder will be on the other side of the field. Bonfa. Bonfa. A um, couple of texts have come in. Uh, Staffy is from Goose. I see Nick Arima has signed with the Dolphins. I've seen it from a mile away. Return back to where his family are and back to Wayne Bennett. His brother will be next. Hadn't caught up with that news. Interesting. Cody Nicarima, gone. Um, from Keith. Super rugby to test rugby is akin to T20 to test cricket. Played for the financial gates. Neither is preparation for the real game. Keith. We touched on that yesterday, eh, Keith? That um, <clears throat> with... South Africa's departure from Super Rugby. Our rugby for the last couple of years has been sort of same same. I mean, it's been entertaining. It's been good to see the resurgence of the Blues, good form by the Crusaders. But without the change on the playing, um, the way the game's played, and the different body types and the different tactics, we haven't had the need to adjust as much as we have in previous years. So I do take your point that. Super Rugby probably used to be a better preparation for Test Rugby, but now we've just been playing ourselves in Australia at at Super Rugby level. And Australia, till sort of the last part of this season, haven't really offered much. So the meaningful competitions have been New Zealand versus New Zealand. And if you watch how they play, they're all the same structure. So you're planning to play... Um, a similar structure each week. Not good preparation for being agile in your decision-making, agile in changing your game plan, and that's what found us out last week. It probably does all tie in. The the web of um, the ability to change things has inadvertently been taken away from us without us even realising. Um, so really good point there, Keith. Uh, from Mark. I just need to read this. Okay, I mentioned that Colin Mainsbridge had mentioned, well, it sounded like, and I heard that interview as well, he was resigned to probably losing Razor very soon. Um, And he says, well, mate, the powers that be need to get in touch with Razor and ask him if he's willing to do it. Does he think he has enough time? Imagine being Razor and the decisions and the things going through your head at the moment. Um... I mean, people are suggesting that he needs to be installed before the Rugby World Cup. I mean, there's not enough room on the coaches' bus at the moment. There are so many involved in the All Blacks. Um, you know, they've brought in a lot of <clears throat> externals to help them out. Uh, Alar Joe Schmidt, who's a bit part player at the moment, and he made that clear when he came on as a selector. He didn't want to have boots on the ground <clears throat> and a whistle in his mouth until after the Irish test. So um, he will probably play a bigger part from after this weekend on. But it's it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one. What does Razor do? And, I, and I've said before, 
if international teams want to get a hold of Razor, you do it before the World Cup. You sign him on now for after the World Cup. Like if England are going to stick with Eddie Jones, and he probably got a stay of execution last week when they beat Australia, if they're going to stick with him for the World Cup, they will probably, that'll do him. He's a bit of a change coach, bit of a, a one-off legend is Eddie Jones. And England have got, they are cashed up. And they could go to Razor now and say, we want you after the next World Cup and we'll sign you for four years on X dollars. If, they, if he got that phone call today, gone, you'd think. Would you think? Because he's had no inclination that New Zealand wants him. But I don't know what goes on behind closed doors. Food for thought. Uh, we will take a break, and when we come back, uh, big mission for Neeps today. He's in Sammy's chair. He's going to tell us what's making news. Right, what's making news can just wait because John has called in, and we love our callers. <laughs> John, g'day, buddy. Hey, Steffi. Thanks for that. I only, I'll be quick. But, um, yeah, you're right on Robertson, mate. He should just take up another international deal if, if New Zealand's mucking him around. But in saying that, the way Foster's performing, uh, it might not be long until the va- there is a vacancy. So it's a bit of a hard one for him. I know he wants to be the all-black coach, and a lot of New Zealanders probably want to see him there. Um, but, yeah, England's got the money. I see Warren Gatlin is open to, to talks with England as well. Mm. Um, because he's thinking about leaving the Chiefs. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting, mate. Yeah, it's hard, it's, hard to, the- it's hard to know what Razor's mindset is because, and I don't know what the lines of communication between him and New Zealand rugby are. I hope there's some, um, but they would mm-hmm. be stabbing Ian Foster in the back to say, yep, you're next, mate, and probably at the end of the year or probably after the next World Cup, stick around and it's yours because they can't make those assurances because if Ian Foster has a really good second half of this season and the, then wins the World Cup, you probably can't get rid of him. Well, yeah, well, well, exactly, mate, and that's the pro- that's the issue. Um, well, just back to your first point, I understand that there ha- there has been communication, and they asked him to coach the All Blacks fifteen, which is the second team. All right, uh, but he declined. Um, I think because he knew that that job wasn't probably you know suited to him at this time. Um, so I think he knows that there could be a vacancy very soon, the way the All Blacks are heading. Mm. But who knows, Daffy? We'll just have to wait and see. We yeah. are going to have to wait and see, my friend. We are. That's John out of Auckland. Uh, text come in. Surely the NZRU have had a chat and know what Foster's plans are after the World Cup. If they want him to stay, otherwise they should have tapped Razor on the shoulder. Ian Foster will want to stay. Ian Foster will want to win the World Cup and he will want to stay because he's only done one cycle. Um, and he could his, – his ideal outcome is go to France, win the World Cup, and then do another four and go back to back like, like we've done in the past. That's what he wants. So he's not going to say, I'm done after the World Cup. He's a fighter. He's a competitor. And he'll, be, he'll, he'll do whatever he can do to make that happen. But we'll have a break, and then before the news, oh, we're going to double up with the news. News, what's making news, and then the news. Don't go anywhere. So anyone out there who's from Australia or listening in Australia, you've probably stood up and danced. Now, Nutbush was released by Tina Turner in 1973. But in the weekend, more than 4,000 punters at the Birdsville Big Red Bash Music Festival set a world record for the biggest nutbush dance. Now, it's a line dance, quite often done at 21sts and weddings. 
I was at a wedding in Australia two or three years ago. This came on. Everyone except me and the Kiwis were going, what is going on? But they just love it. Uh, each of the 4,000 punters paid 15 bucks to take part in the world record and they raised $60,000 for the Flying Doctor service. So uh, Tina Turner's never performed the dance herself, but she is aware of it. The 4,084 dancers exceeded the previous world record of 2,078, set at the same venue, the same music festival last year. Birdsville, where the music festival is, has a population of 150 people. (laughs) But the town's bakery says during the festival, they have daily sales of 1,500 curried camel pies. Well, they sound delicious. And 900 coffees during the festival. It sounds a bit like Gisborne, doesn't it? Except more than 150, but just around that New Year's period, you know? Rhythm and Vines. Rhythm and Vines. So this is Narbush. Let's hear a bit more of it. It's like, make up your own line dance. I'd love to see you do the line dance, Steph. I actually know it. (laughs) (laughs) Teach me. So if you're Australian, are you aware of this phenomenon of the nut bush bush line dance? Now, the cool thing is, I don't know what they were doing, but I learned the dance in about 20 seconds. It's pretty easy, and it's pretty cool when you see everyone at the wedding, all ages. It's almost like you're right of passage. Are you Australian? Yes. Prove it by doing the nutbush line dance. It's like a Kiwi singing poye, isn't it? It is. It is. Where you'll try and be the Māori boy with the white gloves on top of the canoe. Exactly. Doing the, doing the dance. But any Australian listeners out there, explain to us your nutbush phenomenon. I, I don't get it, but I get it. I've witnessed it, and I think it's kind of cool. I think it's kind of cool. Maybe the Wallabies after the All Blacks do the haka, could be the nutbush line dance. Hook, line and sinker, sold. You're into it, ain't you, Neeps? Into it. We're coming up to 2 o'clock after 2 o'clock news. We'll have a little bit more news, but it's quirky because it's Neeps Rufio with what's making news. But for now, Johnny Mack with the serious stuff. Silk Sonic Neeps. You know what? I think they've stolen their style off Jamiroquai. Do you know them? I don't know them. You'd but, like them. But I, I just love the resurgence of old music, you know? Like, it's not typical pop, pop music, and it's thrown back to another era, so they're capturing everyone. I love it. Um, I've just been going around the news circuits. Uh, there's a good yarn here about... Um, Prince George was courtside for the Wimbledon final. I think the first time he's been courtside. What would he be? I don't know, fifth in line to the throne or something. Cute wee fella. And everyone in England is saying after Nick Curious's expletive-laden final, he's learned some new words. And they've got a photo of him sitting in the stand, scratching his head, and his father, uh, Prince William, looking like he's trying to explain something to him. And the young man, the young boy, looks quite perplexed. That's a baptism of fire, isn't it? Also interesting out of Wimbledon, we heard on Johnny Max News that... Um, Nick Curios has dropped to seven on the, in the world on the back of winning Wimbledon. Um, and I think that's because the ranking points don't count at Wimbledon because of the banning of the, the Russians, etc. So imagine winning Wimbledon and plummeting down the rankings. We all know who the best in the world at the moment is, though, don't we? Don't we? 
We do. We do. Uh, some live sports commentary coming up for you this week. Uh, great to tell you that this Wednesday, so that's tomorrow, Wednesday and Thursday from 8 o'clock, uh, we will have live netball commentary from the Cadbury Series. Uh, Wednesday is New Zealand versus New Zealand A, which for me is the biggie. Oh, it's the biggie. Um, New Zealand A, full of players that didn't quite make the Silver Ferns Cup. And we've got it on good authority that New Zealand A beat the Silver Ferns in a closed real game in overtime. So I'm looking forward to that one. And I'll be joined in co-commentary by Michaela sokolic Beetson, the Mystic star and former Silver Fern. So fantastic to have her on board. And then Thursday from 8 o'clock, the Silver Ferns will be playing the New Zealand men's team. Um, I normally think the men's team slightly have the wood over the Silver Ferns, not through Scott, just the absolute height of the men's team, but three of the men's team have been moved into the interna- into the international invitation side. So they'll be a little bit depowered, but Thursday night, 8 o'clock, the Silver Ferns against the New Zealand men's team, and I'll be joining co-commentary by April Yeramia, the former Silver Fern. Fantastic. And I believe she's coaching at Westlake Girls. Sorry if I've got that wrong, but she's been involved in netball since she started playing, I guess, and, and never stopped. And then Friday night from 10 o'clock, uh, Sammy Hewitt and Tony Kemp will bring you live commentary here on SCNZ of the Warriors against the Eels, looking to back up that great win. So Netball Wednesday, Thursday, Friday the Warriors, good times, good times of an evening during this horrific weather bomb. Ease my ears, learn something. Let's go to Neeps with what's making news. Ladies and gentlemen, I've, I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. What's making news around the world. I was very inspired by Johnny Mac, actually, and I'm going into Wimbledon for a bit of my what's making news. Okay. Um, so Nick Karrios, he's very, very famous for racking up a massive bill of fines over yep. a, over any tournament, a Grand Slam. Um, and I was just concerned, well, not concerned, I just wondered how much money he had actually been fined. So um, over Just at Wimbledon? Or? Uh, just, I've, I've got a whole bunch of them here for your staff. So, Excellent. Um, star player who beat Novak Djokovic on Sunday is thought to have accumulated £450,000 in penalty fines, making him the most fined player of all time in tennis. That's pretty common knowledge without even knowing Half that Half a million fact. dollar, well, uh, four fifty is 900000 New Zealand dollars yeah. in fines. Yeah, pretty close to it. It says about 800000 Australian dollars. So um, in Wimbledon alone, he was fined uh, this year £11,500. Uh, £11, um, one of them was for spitting at a fan. That set him back $8,200. One was swearing at an umpire, which cost him another £330,000. So, oh, sorry, £3,300. Um, and his biggest fine of all time was in 2019 when he verbally assaulted an umpire of his match against uh, Karen Kachinov and he smashed two rackets while he was in the bathroom break. That was pretty famous from him. He had to kiss by goodbye £131,000. 
Um, at the 2018 Queens, he was handed a £15,000 fine for making a gesture of sexual nature with his water bottle. <laughs> and in 2015, he was given a two, uh, $20,790 fine and he was banned for the f- uh, from the sport following a run-in with another player. So... 800,000 Australian dollars in fines over his career is pretty unbelievable. I've just actually looked up his net worth. As of this year, he's worth an estimated 8 million American dollars, so 6,500 pounds. Could be 8.8. Um, yeah, <laughs> which is like 13 grand. Uh, this is nearly all due to his tennis achievements, through which he earned, he's earned more than 7 million US in prize wow. money. This was before the final. Yeah. And I think runner up in the final, I think the winner's a mill. Yeah. I think runner up's probably six or five or something That's like that. Great payday still. He's going okay. Um, another story I came across was a real life bank heist. It's just happened over the past couple of days um, in Brixton. And they got in just because they dressed up like the people that collect the money. Like so, there were four, uh, six twenty-five thousand dollar briefcases. <laughs> the man walked in in G4S uniform, which is the big helmet and bulletproof vest, and you're only allowed to carry one case at a time. So he went in and out of the shop six times. <laughs> this complete imposter. Let alone. They don't get their money collected on that day that he was there. Uh, he just said he was there a day early doing his job. Sorry, sorry, I just got, I need to take it. Anyway, half an hour later, the money hadn't been logged in their system as of gone, and the man's made away with $150,000. Scarpered. Yeah, he's gone, Burger. What but, country? Um, uh, UK in All Brixton. Right. So um, there is there is there is a plus side for the bank. If um, he has a help of, an, of uh, someone on the inside, um, he's going to be able to get around those little ink boxes inside of the things. But if he's working with someone, if he's gone undercover, he's, he's claimed someone from the bank, he's, he's just made away with the easiest bank heist of all time. I sort of say good on you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Some part of me is like, clever man, clever yeah. man. Just, you got to have the guts to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, and text, I know you're not a TikToker, no. but have you seen the guy who is creating a frog army? No. Oh, my God. So this guy's just getting absolutely slandered by economists and animals, like people like who are really well up in the animal industry. He um, saw a pond that was drying up, and there was about a million tadpole eggs. So what he did is he took every single one of those tadpole, po- tadpole eggs, put them in his pond, and they've just hatched. <laughs> and he's posted videos all over TikTok. There is easily 500,000 frogs crawling over each other all over his front lawn, all through his neighbour's house. Oh, my God. And, yeah, people aren't happy. And bi- a biologist has said that breeding frogs in that environment is very dangerous because it can actually cause for a big, massive depletion of their of their species because there's not enough food. They'll all die out, and then eventually they'll carry diseases onto one another. So this could wipe out the frogs. Jeez. It's like armor frogging. Yeah, exactly. Armor frogging. Um, and I've got a fact for you as well. Oh, looking forward to this. Just a very short one. Roger Federer. Yeah. 50% of his name is Er. Roger <laughs> Federer. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the loosest facts of the day I can recall. It is. It's over 50%, actually, if you, you know, add numbers to Er's. Er. Yeah. Er. Put it in Scrabble. Um, we're going to have a break. On the other side, we... Gratefully, have got Chris Pollock, who's in the middle of his induction process into his new gig as head of referees for New Zealand rugby. He's a great man, Chris Pollock. Um, 
I'm going to struggle to ask the question because I don't even understand what I'm asking. If you know what I mean, I just want some clarity around the yellow cards, the red cards, the depowered scrum. Should we have 12, 13, all of that sort of scenario? So he's a good man, Polly. He should be able to explain it so we can all understand. So I'm in this with you, listeners. I'm probably the same as you, completely confused, just want some enlightenment. Chris Pollock will join us after the break. Yes, welcome back in. Um, just getting Chris Pollock up on the phone. Um, won't be too far away, hopefully. He just said, can you give me five minutes? And as I say, um, <clears throat> he's stepping out of his induction at New Zealand Rugby to come and have a chat to us, which is pretty good of him, pretty good of him. Um, and as I mentioned, he may not be able to answer all the questions because a lot of the decisions and the way things were handled over the weekend across all the games is being reviewed by World Rugby <clears throat> yesterday, Monday, Tuesday, their time, so um, we'll probably know a little bit more overnight will come out. Um, I'd imagine there'll be some statements, etc., that will come out of um, that will come out of uh, World Rugby on some of their findings, which will be interesting. Just notice that Ari Savia has uh, come out and said, "I'm just trying to find his quotes." Jeepers, where are the quotes? I saw them just before. Um, he was a bit frustrated at being having to sit out the game. Um, here we go. Savia said he's tried to ignore the criticism aimed at the New Zealand men's rugby team following their f- worst home defeat in 150 tests. But it was not always easy in the age of social media. Um, he says, I try to stay away from that sort of stuff, but I'd be lying if I said I didn't take notice of it. I'd be scrolling through the gram and you see stuff, but that's just the reality of our job and what we do in the jersey. It does hurt because we're a family here, but with everything that's happened, we've got each other's backs. People perceive what they see, but they don't know what goes on inside. I back the coach, I back the skipper, and I back my players 100% side by side. Um This morning, uh, this is after the loss. He said, we're very motivated. After the weekend, we are quite disappointed. It hurt a lot. This morning, which I think was yesterday, we've taken it in. In terms of looking at the game, and hopefully we can nullify a few things and get ready for this week because it's going to be massive. It is going to be massive. I can't wait to see the team named. And whoever they choose will be well fired up for it. It's interesting to see what the reaction to that loss will be with selections. I think the one that I'm most sure that will happen uh, is David Havili will make a return. If Sam Whitelock is good to go, he'll make a return. If Sam Whitelock comes back, does Scott Barrett go to six? Now, we, we spoke to Murray Mexted on the show yesterday, and if you missed that, it's on the podcast tab of the SENZ app. Um, go and have a listen to Murray Mexted. And to paraphrase him, uh, he said Scott Barrett's our best six in the country. And that irks a few people. That irks a few people because it didn't work. And I remember uh, Steve Hansen said it was one of his regrets playing him at six against England in the World Cup. But he's matured a lot since 2019. With three years on, it'll be four years for the next World Cup. It'll be interesting to see if Scott Barrett gets the six jersey again. Um if Sam Whitelock is ready and good to go uh, and put his arm around Brody Retallick and take the locking spot. If he does go to six, what's the seven, eight? What's the seven, eight? Do we go to a, a Peter Gus at eight? Do we go to, um, does he stick with Artie at eight and Sam at seven? 
interesting ones there. So I think a lot to do with selections is the availability of Sam Whitelock. Sam Whitelock's not available. I think you still have to stick with Scott Barrett into lock, which makes the loose four trio even more of a dilemma to try and figure out. Um, and inside inside backs, inside backs just keep trying leaps. We're trying to get Chris. Um, he will answer. We haven't got long though. Um, inside backs, he'll still uh, he'll still stick with um, Aaron Smith, Bowden Barrett. I think. I see David Havili coming in. Would he be – is he desperate enough to make some big changes? And by big changes, I mean – I'm not saying this is what I would do um, – Rico to the wing so we can get good Hugh and, and the, the very much proven midfield combination of Havili and good Hugh. I think I'd feel a bit safer with that. Um, and then Rico on the wing, take your choice in the other wing, Lester, Sevu, whatever you like. And then Will Jordan. He's ready to go again. Does he find his way onto a wing and keeping Geordie at the back? Uh, interesting, Murray Mexted said the big plus for Geordie is he's six foot six, and they do go aerial, do the Irish. They go very aerial, and he's a great, he's very brave. Gosh, he's brave, Geordie Barrett, very strong as well. So looking forward to seeing what the makeup is and that's Thursdays normally isn't it about half past 11 12 something like that tonight we've got to look forward to the Māori All Blacks hosting in Wellington what a turnaround in pricing remember the first the first time Māori played Ireland uh, the odds were set at now I think Māori All Blacks might have opened at $3 or 270 something like that they're favourites now dollar sixty-five. And as I pointed out yesterday, I think a lot of that is to do with the fact that the Irish have said, I think Alan Quillen uh, did say that he expects most of the starting 15 to play just about the whole game because they just, they've got a test match on Saturday and they just haven't got, they haven't got two full teams, including the bench. So I think we'll see a lot of the um, test players on the bench and hopefully not having to use them too much. Because now they can win a series in New Zealand. You do wonder about the importance of this Māori All Blacks, um, Māori All Blacks scalp on their tour when they have some, such a, an amazing opportunity to, uh, to, to take a test series in New Zealand. Those sorts of things don't come up all the time. What we might do, Neeps, if Chris Pollock isn't answering let's take the call Bruce is calling in from Christchurch so let's take that call and we'll try and get Chris Pollock on after after the news at 2.30 yeah let's do that and um, you can keep trying him and say we'll bring him on after 2.30 straight after the news um, let's do that so I think Bruce is there are you there Bruce go now I'll go now um, yeah just been listening and so on um I haven't rung up and made any comments uh, to anyone this week. I've sort of taken it all in. Um, the Irish were desperate. They needed to bounce back from a disappointing first match, and they had nothing to lose in that second one. Um, they were hungry, and they had the right mindset, and that was it from the beginning. So now the All Blacks need to reverse that round. If they're desperate enough, they want to win the series. They need to play some rugby, and... I don't want to see box kicks anywhere. If they get into the Irish half, 
if they're going to kick, they need to kick into the corner territory only and put pressure on. Or keep the ball. Keep the bloody ball. Yeah. And hunt and pack. Play tighter and play tight rugby in their half. And that's where, that's where, that's what they need to do, simply. I agree with you. Havili should come back. Um, I really wanted to see Cullen Grace in the in the squad, but oh, unfortunately, he's, I did too. He, you know, he's with um, he's playing tonight. I assume in Wellington. Yeah. I just I, um, looking at the way the Irish defend, and I, I'm not a technical expert in breaking down defences. They look nigh on impenetrable, Bruce. Well, yeah, that's right. They're big, strong guys. They're, you know, they're big, and they're bigger than us in some ways. So. If they come up in a line quickly, it's like South Africa. It's bloody hard to it. So you, you've got to actually turn them around. Mm. You play, you know, someone once said, if you keep doing the same thing and trying to get, get a different result, it's called insanity. Well, basically, that's what we do. If you try three or four times and you can't do it, you've got to change. You've got to put little chip kicks over, turn them around. In the first match, we did. We, we played quite smart in that match, and they weren't ready for it. Yeah, well, so I'd imagine that's our te- what they need to do. Yeah, our technical video analysts will they'll identify all of the stuff. So you know, why was Bowden Barrett so influential in the first test and not in the second? Because he had Irish in his face. He, no player, it doesn't matter how good you are, if you're getting the ball no. and defenders at the same time and bad ball, you can't do anything. He, he's not a magician, but we need to no, find that back, don't we? Yep. So that's what they've got to do. Don't don't bloody end up in your own. 22 for 30, 40 minutes. It's, it's just, you, you can't do it. Mm. And, you know, I don't know who they can get to fire them up to start off. They've got to start off hungry and really needing it in the first 10 or 15. Mm. It's really disappointing that a, a, a team from overseas can come in here and actually outpassion you on your home ground. It's actually quite bemusing, that. I really, yeah, but bemusing or yeah. embarrassing, you know? Oh, look, they're only human and um, you know, it happens. You've got to think top sportsman. It's hard to peak all the time. Yeah. You're he, talking a week apart. Yeah. You know all about that. It's, yeah. It's here's, hard. here's my prediction for the final mm. test. Kapo Apango will be the haka. I, well, I, yes. I don't think they'll go Kamata. And as silly as that sounds, I think that will shift their energy. It's not same-same. It's a whole new thing. And uh, I don't have Māori blood in me, but I would imagine if I was told we're going away from Kamati, Kapoapanga, we save this for the big jobs, let's roll, and then a, an important yeah. start. We, we've been outplayed in the first 20 minutes of both tests. Yeah, we have. How, I tell you how angry uh, and fired up Saudi Sabir going to be. Oh, look Give out. Give us the ball 10 metres out. <laughs> Raging ball. Yeah, he's, he's going to be like a V8 Kingswood driving around a cart track, that boy. Hey. Hey, Akira Awani, he hasn't been involved at all, has he? No, he wasn't available for the first test. I understand. I think he was injured, but I think he's available this test. Would you bring him on with 20 to go for some impact? Yes, I tell I... you, do you get him angry enough? Yeah, yeah. I think he's an impact player at the moment. I, I'd love him for the last 15, yeah. 20. I really would. Go yeah. out and be a bully. Get, get his brother to annoy him all week. <laughs> <laughs> get him angry. That's it. Hey, awesome, Bruce. Good to hear from you, buddy. Good to talk, buddy. Cheers, mate. Uh, We did get through to Chris Pollock. He's going to join us straight after the news, which is now.
Yes, welcome back in, and we've tracked them down. We've found him. He is the new boss of New Zealand referees, and he's a great man. Chris Pollock joins us. G'day, Chris. Hey, Steph. How you going, mate? Good, mate. Uh, we're giving you a little reprieve from your induction, which I could only imagine is a pretty tough one at NZR. Yeah, she's been a, been an interesting start to the new role um, after the weekend, so that's been good, though. Yeah, straight into the fire, right? Jeepers. This, exactly. Mate, for two days we've had a whole lot of discussion, and the reason I got you on, it's it's discussion, but it's confusion. And um, so I'm wondering if you can step me through the process that happened, because there's a couple of things I don't understand. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong, I just don't understand. So this is what yep. I've written down. 17-minute, Leicester Whanganuku, yellow card, gone for 10 minutes. That's fine. Yep. 25th minute, offer, yellow card, early tackle. At the next scrum, Angus Tatavau came on because you yep. need you need props. Dalton Papali'i yep. went and sat down because we still needed um, we still needed props. 27th minute, Whanuku returns. Doesn't matter. 31st minute, so um, Angus Tatavau's been on for 6 minutes and gets red carded. So he goes off. And then the next scrum, Aidan Ross comes on because we need another prop. So Savia goes off. So question yep. one is, Adi Savia didn't come on again later on. Uh, Dalton Papali'i did. Um, but I thought Papali'i was on for Ta'avau, who got the red card. Savia went off for Aidan Ross. So he should have been the one that came back on. Has that been resolved? Yeah, that's, it's, it's a process for the rugby a week, working through at the moment. Um, so they're, they're doing their independent kind of review of whether the, the rules got applied correctly or not. Mm-hmm. Um, my understanding basically is that because Artie's gone off for Aidan Ross, he was entitled to come back on. Mm. So that's, that's, that's still got to get worked through, but that's my understanding. Um, and then someone somewhere said that we should have gone down to 12 players at some stage. So, so my question is... That was because um, both props on one side had gone off, and we didn't have. Was it loose head? Yeah, we didn't. Uh, yeah, we didn't have another tight loose head. head. Uh, we didn't have a tight head. Tight so, head. so we had two loose heads on. So it was golden oldie, oldie scrums. But at that stage, there should have been another one taken off. So my question is: Is there a penalty that you have to lose a player because your team necessitated uncontested scrums? Correct. So if you cause scrums to go uncontested and it's not through foul play by the opposition or someone's leaving for a blood bin or a head knock mm-hmm. so in this case it was foul play by uh, Angus that was gone to uncontested you have to then go to go to 14 men effectively but because there were two cards that's two other players off so you're right it should have gone down one more per- person Right, so there should have been a period of not very long, what, three minutes or something like that. Um, and and the other one was during Golden Oldies, I think it was during Golden Oldies scrums, um, we had to pack down eight. Is, is that Correct. Al- always the case? You have to have eight in a Golden Oldie yep. scrum or you have to have eight in yes. every scrum? No, it's just Golden Oldie scrums. You, you've got to have eight on eight. This, this came about in 2017, Georgia were playing Wales. And a similar scenario happened, and basically Wales were allowed to set a scrum where they didn't have eight in, um, so they could defend it however they wanted to, and it was um, basically to George's disadvantage. They were they were attacking five metres out from the goal line, and Wales effectively, because it was goal noldies, they didn't need to have eight in the scrum. They could put their put uh, and even other well, numbers 
correct numbers against each other. So effectively, Georgia got no advantage out of the fact that they had to go down to Golden Oldie Scrum. So World Rugby brought in a law change. There's been a lot of empathy for referees in the last couple of weeks, Chris, that they're being forced to make rulings that they may not agree with or because this is the remit that's come from World Rugby. Head contact, particularly one of them. The Angus Ta'aval one raised the discussion again that there's no room for accidental versus intentional. Angus Ta'aval was punished with a red card. Darcy Swain was punished with a red card. Darcy Swain was a headbutt. Angus Ta'aval was accidental. The referees must must be a bit frustrated that there's no no differentiation between the two. You've been talking to Jeff Wilson, haven't you? I haven't. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, he's of the same belief. Um, look, the head contact process is there for a reason, and it's mm. to protect player safety, you know, and there is a set of guidelines that the referees need to apply when, when they're making those judgments. Now, that's where it's is at at the moment. Um, World Rugby is constantly reviewing that to see whether we've got that right. Yeah. So at the moment, um, what Yako did on Saturday night is absolutely in line with what's in that head contact process. So he, he's just followed what, what they've been asked to do. Now, we've just got to keep evolving with the game. So if the players and the coaches in the game tells us that that application of the head con- contact process isn't the way that it needs to be done, well, then World Rugby will, will adapt and adjust. But if they believe that it's the right space to be, we'll be we will stay in this space. Mm. Yeah, it's um, it's frustrating. It's good to know that they are prepared to be fluid and maybe make some adjustments as it goes along. Um, and the the final one, and I, the one that not annoyed me, I just I just found um, I felt for the referees again. This intentional knock on, um, it was in the Australia England game, and I think it was Parisi, um, hand facing the sky, very nearly caught an intercept, and it went to the TMO, and they said that's clearly an intentional knock-on. Now, I think that was the only person in the universe that thought it was an intentional knock-on. It was an attempt to catch the pass. Would World Rugby look at that as well and say, actually, maybe there is a difference between a slap-down and an attempted catch, which was so close to coming off, um, and he got binned? Yeah, look, I mean, it's a tough area of the game, and I think what, what, what they've done in the Sevens game is, is to try to make rulings like that consistent so people can easily follow them and we've brought that into the 15s arena. Mm. Now again it's a matter of sitting down and saying are we happy with that space in, in, in the 15s arena? Now that's a decision World Rugby need to make and then we as a country need to follow or get in line with what they're doing. So yeah, it's another one that's going to be up for debate going forward I think. I know you've been in the gig about 48 hours so it's a pretty it's a pretty tough one to answer but um, looking at the 13 side code league they'll make a change and they move quick they'll move real quick and and when we're talking about head knocks and clashes and intent and accidental and all of these things um, are we expediting necessary change or desired change or potential change at a quick enough rate? Well, difficulty thing. I mean, like, I mean, the difficult thing for us in New Zealand is that we we don't actually get to make those decisions. So World Rugby make those decisions; they then come down to us. Mm. So it's up to them to be able to sit there and go, "We think there's an issue with that law; it needs to get changed." Um, whereas in the NRL, they only answer to themselves, so it's very yeah. easy for them to go, "This isn't working; we're now going to change it." Whereas 
our game goes across the world. So for them to change, it's got to get pushed across the world. So that's potentially one of the reasons why she's a little bit slower. Mm. Yeah, true, because you've got so many jurisdictions that it goes over. True. Yeah, totally. I was just going to let you go, uh, but I've had a question from a listener. Uh, right. It says, hi, Mark, please ask Chris, what about when a prop gets the ball, lowers his head and runs head first into the tackler's shoulder? He could instigate getting the defender off the field. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. and I'd like to think that our guys especially in New Zealand, use really good judgment around the mitigation that they can use. So, you know, like the first question that they have to ask is, is there head contact? So in that scenario, yes, it would be head contact. The second part or the next question they're going to ask is, is there foul play? So if someone's led with their head and dropped their body height that, that far, I'd like to think a good referee would be looking at that and going, well, there's nothing that the tackler can do differently to avoid that head contact, so therefore there is no foul play. So therefore, we're playing on, um, and th- and that's that's the grey area is like how much. So if, a, if you think about Angus's one on the weekend, the difficulty thing with Angus is he was fully upright. Now the arg- the argument around that would be, does he have time to drop his body height? And that's the question that the referees summed up on the night, and they made the decision that yes, he did have enough time to adjust his body height, and he didn't. So it'll be interesting to see where that falls out in the in the judicial process. Mm. But I mean, in the situation you're talking about, like I'd like to think our guys would use really good judgment um, to work out. Well, is there actually foul play here? We, we we at the beginning of Super Rugby last year, we brought Joe Smith in to come in and run a session with our referees around how much time a tackler has to adjust or not adjust. And our guys were really surprised at how time poor in certain situations, a tackler actually has. So what I mean by that is if someone gets stepped, like how difficult it is for them to change their body height or get their head out of the road, so therefore some of that contact is is accidental. Um, And I'd like to think in super rugby, especially last year, that our guys were really good at being able to look at a situation and go, you know what, there is mitigation here, so we're going to go from red down to yellow. Um, and that's the challenge, I think, for all the referees across the world is to be able to appreciate how dynamic a tackle situation actually is and how difficult at times it is for a tackler to drop their body height. Mm. Um, so this, we, we, we definitely got some work to do in this space to get that right. But the overriding principle is is we're trying to protect players. Um, so we, we, we've got to keep that at the forefront. And the thing is, whenever you open things up to interpretation, half will agree, half won't. Just look at the Elliot Dixon try. He didn't score, but you ask my neighbour, he did. You know, And there's always going to be interpretation. Hey, uh, Chris, we'll let you get back to your induction. Uh, thanks for coming on, mate. I know it's a, it's a testing time, but all the very best in your new role and uh, look forward to catching up with you again. Cheers, Steph. Any time, mate. Cheers, mate. There's Polly. Chris Pollock, uh, the new head of New Zealand Referees, will be back with Mastermind in a moment. 1950s Southland Rugby to Irish Tiddlywinks. This is your chance to prove that you truly are a mastermind. We have to get Rube Dog to voice another one of those. That's been going a year now. Uh, Irish Tiddlywinks. No, yeah. no one's ever chosen it. I know. So I thought it would have been taken by now, to be fair. Yeah, especially with Ireland in the country. Uh, mm. But Mastermind today is the 1981 Springbok Tour. Ken is our contestant. G'day, Ken. 
Hello, Steffi, you're right. Very well, very well. Ten questions, two minutes. You're yep. allowed to. You know how it goes. Okay. You're a long time listener. You can pass. I'll come back. Yep. Let's get the clock going. Okay. Yep. Who captained the 1981 Springboks? Uh, Wayne Clutton. Correct. The second tour game versus Waikato was cancelled, but who was their first game in New Zealand? Uh, Poverty Bay. Correct. There was another game cancelled between the first and second test. Who was supposed to this? Who was supposed to be this against? Ooh, South Canterbury. Correct. Against which team did the Springboks score their highest score of eighty-three points? That's the base. I was there. Oh, correct. Nas Porter was the first choice, first five eighth. Who was his backup? Oh, um, Colin Beck. Correct. Where did the Springboks go and play after the New Zealand tour? USA. Correct. What is the name of the commander of the police's red squad that was brought together for the tour? Pass. Of the two test matches, which one had the lowest margin of victory? Three test matches, sorry. Which one had the lowest margin of victory? Uh, First one. Third one, three points. How many cities hosted more than one tour game? Two. One, just Auckland. One All Black kicked a drop goal in the series. Who was it? Doug Rawson? Correct. And that's your 10. Uh, uh, oh. I've done the red squad, Sam. I've done the red squad, uh, Neeps. Oh, you passed on it. Oh, you did too. Name of the commander of the police's red squad that was brought together for the tour. Not sure, no. You'll know when I say it. Who is it? <laughs> Ross Moran. <laughs> oh, true. Yeah. Was he Brad Morant's yeah. brother? I think he was, wasn't he? Brad Morant, yeah, they used was, to coach yeah. North Harbour. Yeah. Um, so you yeah. got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. New leader. Tour leader. Oh, uh, well, yeah. Look at you go, you champion. Awesome, Ken. Uh, you're <laughs> leading. You're in, you're in the running for the $100 lifestyle focus voucher. And boy, your place could do with a scrub up, mate. <laughs> all good, Steffi. Cheers, buddy. There is Ken. If you want to play Mastermind, that's all it takes. Ken now leads seven out of ten. Uh, we won't have Mastermind tomorrow. We've got the chase, but we will have Mastermind Thursday, Friday. So text us through double eight double three. Your specialist subject. It could be anything. See, he's gone eighty-one Springbok to it. Yesterday, someone said, "I'll do rugby union, rugby league, or." UFC, something like that. I mean, narrow it down, champions. Someone last week when I wasn't here had UFC 276, which was uh, the card on the Sunday, the day before. So you Just can, one event. Yeah. Make it as easy or as hard as you want. Yeah, don't make it the first five minutes of the All Black test because <laughs> we've got to come up with 10 questions. But Or you'll get something like who received the seventh pass of the test and that'll be near impossible. But... Chuck us an era. Chuck us the Warriors from 2000 to 210. Chuck us your Canterbury NPC titles. Uh, just give it a go, and you could be in to win the $100 Lifestyle Focus 
voucher and get some spray and go and look at the difference it makes to your drives and roofs. Roof for me, especially. We'll be back. We had some text messages come in while we are talking to Chris Pollock and we thank him once again for coming on and just to clarify a few things. We'll be back in a moment. What happens next? Yes, a chance for you to win a double pass to the Phantom of the Open, the movie. A story about a crane operator who'd never played golf. He got into the 1976 British Open qualifying tournament. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm just going to have to go to see how he managed it. Sounds like an awesome movie, eh? Hey, um, I've got the first part for you. 13 seconds. Uh, what happens after this? Listen to this place. Oh, big shot by McGregor. Look at the clock closely. Ten seconds. Oh, he's hurt. Could he finish him here? That's it. It's all over. So this could have been a today in history, but I've used it for my what happens next. You've gone back to the well. You've gone gone back back to the the UFC well. I know. Conor McGregor. Okay, give us one more listen. Okay, here you go. Listen to this place. Oh, big shot by McGregor. Look at the clock closely. Ten seconds. Oh, he's hurt. Could he finish him here? That's it. It's all over. Tell you what, Zade will know. He's had so many highlights, Conor McGregor. It's I not know, fair. But it's a today in history. Just use that on your thoughts. Oh, they're going to Google Conor McGregor the 12th of July now. But anyway, what happens next? Uh, give us your best guess on double eight double three. That is the Temper Bear Post Text Machine. And the one with the most accuracy and a little bit of expediency can win the double pass to the Phantom of the Open. Thanks to Universal Pictures for supporting what happened next. Get your guesses through and we'll figure it all out after the news with Johnny Mac. Speaking of old songs, Noops, past the Dutchie, I've been racking my brain who that's by. Uh, that's something like the Little Boys or something. Uh, I can't remember. You're close. Musical youth. Musical youth. Yeah, little youth boys. <laughs> Music boys. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Music boys. Right, we're in the midst of uh, what happens next. Um, we've had one correct. One correct. One correct play the first bit again. Okay, here you go. Listen to this place. Oh, big shot by McGregor. Look at the clock closely. Ten seconds. Oh, he's hurt. Could he finish him here? That's it. It's all over. And there's a little bit of towel in Joe Rogan's voice there because it's quite high. Yeah. Not what it quite is nowadays. So there's another hint for you. Why well, he was on the he was on the weed. Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. It was just a long time ago. Oh, <laughs> oh so he's saying he's more raspy as he's yeah, got older. He, he definitely has been. He's probably more on the weed now, Steph. <laughs> Flat out. He's a crazy man. All right. Um, one correct guess. So that makes the picking the winner easy. Uh, and uh, we will play it. Then I'll say who it is, and they're going to win the double pass. Can I please hear your prediction, Steffi? Um, well, the first thing I thought was Conor McGregor breaking his ankle. Um because that's one of but he's he's had so many highlight reels and I don't know what happened on this day whenever it was so I'll just say it's him Rogan's pretty excited so maybe it's something he did early in his career it's like oh he's fulfilled his promise or that's what I get from his voice language you're very very close here's the full part 
Listen to this place. Oh, big shot by McGregor. Look at the clock closely. Ten seconds. Oh, he's hurt. Could he finish him here? It's it. all over. Conor McGregor wow. is a UFC wow. interim featherweight champion. Wow. Conor's first ever bout, his interim UFC bout, he knocked out Chaz, Chad Mendes with 10 seconds to go in the second round at UFC 189 to go into the interim featherweight bout. He then took the main bout off Jose Aldo and then moved up to lightweight to take that so bout as well. So was that his first fight in the UFC? Not his first fight, but his first ever um, shot at a title. So oh, okay. so that was for the number one spot to go up against Jose Aldo when he came back after his injury. And was when he fought Jose Aldo, was that the one there was some controversy that Aldo pulled out because he had a broken rib and he released a whole lot of um, images of his x-ray to prove yeah. that his ribs were broken. And then Dana White came out not long after that and said, they're old photos. Yeah. He's only got bruised ribs and rib cartilage and the weight cut that he went through to make the weight to take on that fight yeah. affected his rib injury. Yeah, exactly. So Joe, Joe How's Howard, that? He, that was really spot on. He he just avoided that fight for as long as he could because he was just taking on absolute mental warfare from Conor McGregor, <laughs> and he would he just wanted to do everything that he possibly could to to delay that fight. Hence why they made the interim fight with Chad Mendes, but it just didn't do anything. He used to he couldn't even speak English, and he would sit through those press conferences and just get bullied by every single person in the audience. So, But not even knowing what they were saying. Not knowing what, but he he, he just had an interpreter on his side that was oh, okay. whispering into his ear the whole time. He goes, oh, this guy actually says you're an idiot, mate. He, he doesn't like you. Oh, look, like, if I'm the interpreter, I'd be saying he loves you. Conor McGregor, yeah. love, he's scared of you. He's saying lovely things about your family. Yeah, yeah. He loves it all. Yeah. Um, so there you go. Mitchell UFC. Mitchell UFC. Mitchell UFC, you are the winner. A double pass, thanks to Universal, uh, to the Phantom of the Open. I'll read you a little blurb about it, actually. With pluckiness and unwavering self-belief, Morris pulls off a series of stunning, hilarious and heartwarming attempts to compete at the highest level of professional golf, drawing the ire of golfing elite but becoming a British folk hero in the process. It's got Academy Award winner, uh, Mark Rylance, he was in the Bridge of Spies and BFG. Also got, um, he plays the lead role, actually. Sally Hawkins, who else is in there? Rhys Ifans from Notting Hill. Uh, and it's an uplifting and moving film. So winning a double pass to the Phantom of the Open isn't the worst thing that you could do. So keep listening to the What Happens Nexts. Well done to Mitchell. Some text messages. Michael, the great man down in Wellington, he's going to go to the Māori game tonight, and he said it's going to be very, very wet. And then he adds, just to brag a little bit, eh, Michael? I'm going to be in the members' lounge. Look at you go. Little bit of food, little bit of beverage. Loving your work, champion. Loving your work. Um... Message from Blackie. That ref sounded like a company man keeping the company line. If they think Angus had time to drop his body height, they're kidding themselves. He would have had less than a second to react. All we want is common sense. International or oh, intentional knock-ons. If you're not good enough to make a pass before a defender, tough luck. Up your game. He, he sort of hamstrung a little bit, Chris Pollock. I'll, I'll go to bat for him. And he mentioned a couple of times... They are given the rules that they have to officiate to. The only 
thing that Yako had to do between his officials was decide whether Angus could have lowered his body and they decided that he did have a chance. Now that's what you can argue, I guess. Um, but they are left to make that decision. And interesting that they got Joe Schmidt in to help out, actually, in that scenario. Very interesting. Um, uh, Steve sent in, and I saw you. I saw your question, Steve. I didn't ask him because I know the answer. Uh, Chris said, why not a report system like Rugby League and the games are not compromised? Steve, he would have said straight back at me, that's a world rugby thing. So world rugby, they govern rugby all around the world. And occasionally they give you a dispensation to try some things in, in a particular tournament, like we saw the 20-minute red card. Uh, Sansa asked for the 20-minute red card to be involved in Super Rugby. World Rugby said, OK, give it a whirl. They didn't want to bring it in up there, but they said give it a whirl. Interested to see if that comes back next season. So the referees are given the rule book, and I've heard so many times when there's head contact, they have that step through. Was there head contact? Yes. Uh, was it with force? Yes. Was it um, intentional? Potentially no. Um, and, and they go through this little step, step-by-step step process. And the overarching thing over all of it is protecting the players, is protecting the players. I think they would admit, and even World Rugby will admit, and I can't wait to see their findings, and hopefully they will come out tomorrow. They haven't got it right. They are trying to feel and find their way to getting this thing right, to protect the players but not affect the integrity of the game as well because it is a high contact game. I just wish and I hope there will be intentional versus accidental. If it's intentional, red, no problem. And I don't think anyone would have a problem if someone smashes into a head and gets a red card. I don't think any of you would have a problem. Where our problem sits is accidental. And my massive problem with these intentional knock-ons, please, you can tell whether he was actually stopping an attacking movement or legitimately trying to catch a pass. Uh, from Dean, Staffy, have a look at TJ's eyes tonight when he leads the Harker. Tell me one All Black that looked that motivated on Saturday. My power play, TJ to score a try, and the Māori 13+. plus In the rain, no problem. Boomfa. <laughs> from Dean. I fancy the Māori tonight, actually, comfortably. Uh, why do we always say the Irish are beating us in physicality? Is there something wrong with how we coach our players? As I'm sure we had the heaviest scrum, so our players are the same size. Brian, good point. Um, we hear all the time, defence is attitude. Defence is want. And my most unfavourite rugby phrase after a match is when I hear someone say they wanted it more than us. Well, you can change that. You can change that. You shouldn't ever, ever after a game say they wanted it more than us. Something you can control is how much you want it. Now, the All Blacks will want this like crazy this Saturday, but so will Ireland. They both better want it a lot, and we are in for a spectacle. Uh, from Tim. Hi, Staff. I agree. Havili will be picked for long kicking game. Yes, he has got a very good kicking game. Kick them into the corners and smack them down. It's a common league method. Pin them in the corners and ask them to cart it out. No box kicks, no up and unders, no football in your own 22. Tim from the 09. Great shout. Havili's kicking game is fantastic. From Kevin. Our massive problem is breakdown, and it has been since just before the last World Cup. Our Lucies 
are naive and expecting to dominate when only committing one or two to the breakdown, then fanning out. Also, playing three number sevens was ludicrous. Dalton had no idea what he was doing. It's not his fault. Specialists and committing more to the ruck to create clean ball is essential. The Irish know how, and they are killing us. <sighs> Powerful. <clears throat> Powerful text message on the temper bed post text machine. A um, few guesses were a bit late for the what happens next. Um, we've had a few texts and a few calls about a few issues with streaming on the app. We think it's sorted now. Had to be reset. <clears throat> Took some time. It was actually the provider or something like that. Was had a bit a little bit of a glitch, but the the great man Josh is uh, the guru of technology arrived in the country today, and uh, I think he's fixed it. So uh, I hope so. And the complaints or the observations haven't been coming in. So let's hope we're up and running <clears throat> and plain sailing. Uh, we will take a break. Still to come before the end of the show, just to let you know, Neil Jennings, he's the New Zealand Thoroughbred Racing Handicapper. How on earth does he do his job? How does he handicap horses with weights? And oh, uh, So we'll be chatting to him because I want to learn some stuff. We'll catch up with, now I think... Um, Beave and Stephen McIver are doing the run home today. Uh, Kirsty's probably in Wellington for the New Zealand Māori game. So McIver will be joining Beave. Uh, that's from 4 to 7. We'll find out what's on their show just after the news at 3. 3.45, we're going across the ditch with Jimmy Smith and our daily look historically of what's gone on on this day. Uh, back in history but a break and on the other side we're going to get NZTR that's New Zealand Thoroughbred Racing Handicapper Neil Jennings on the line to explain what he does and how he does it Now as part of our New Zealand Thoroughbred Racing Series and that's a big thanks to loveracing.co.nz we are joined by what must be a fascinating job Uh, New Zealand Thoroughbred Racing's Neil Jennings he is the handicapper Neil welcome in Thank you, Staffy. How are you? I'm very well. Um, goodness me. Were you an accountant? Were you a uh, boxing weight division controller? How on earth did you get into handicapping? No, none of that. But obviously had a passion from a, from a young age in terms of numbers and statistics. And, um, you know, always from a, from a young boy being keen on going to the races and, you know, stepping, stepping out with my father and, just thoroughly enjoyed being on track and it's really evolved from there. Am I right in saying there's only one of you in New Zealand? No. So, so I'm the senior handicapper, but I'm very well supported by Tyler Tony. So there's two of us that do the thoroughbred handicapping and that equates to about 292 thoroughbred meetings a season. So Keith is very busy um, Monday through to Sunday each week. So I'm, I'm going to try and keep this simple, uh, basically for me, but also the listeners. Where's your starting point with a horse on its weight? Yeah, so obviously we've got different classes of races. So the horses that uh, are yet to win a race, they are called maidens or running maiden races. And a horse that is a wins its maiden, so its first win, generally speaking, comes out at a rating of 62 to 64. So we don't have a horse that wins a maiden less than 62. And then depending on the strength of the field, the number of starts they've had and the merit of that performance, they'll either line, line up 
on a 62, you know, maximum 64 rating. So as they get better, they get more. The rating will go up, and when they hit certain races, they'll get more weight. Yes, absolutely. So uh, generally speaking, so uh, the lowest rating band that we have in, just introduced is a rating sixty race, and that really is for horses rated sixty and below. And maiden horses can still run in that. They run on what we call our industry days, which are at midweek level. Mm-hmm. And then from there, from there, you're looking at rating 65 races, which, which is generally generally for horses that have won one or two races. But you may get some horses, Staffy, that um, have actually won multiple races, but their performances have deteriorated over time, and they're they're actually able to uh, run in. Actually, the 65 rating races, you can't have won more than one race, but then we have rating 74 races. Uh, which will then one August turn to rating 75 races. So you might get a horse there that might have won six or seven races that um, comes out and runs in a rating 74. They'll they'll have been a higher rated horse previously, but their form's deteriorated to a degree where they've been able to line up in those type of races. You know, and they might be taking on two or three win horses. So, so as part of your um, goal, I guess, in a 10-horse race, if you've weighted it correctly, we'll have a 10-way dead heat. Is that sort of what you're trying to achieve? Yeah, which is virtually impossible, but <laughs> you're right. We're, uh, we're basing them on uh, their overall profile with a strong emphasis on recent form, and ideally we'd like to has the ten of them across the line, you know, without much differential between them. What about the argument that you're penalising the good horses and they deserve to be good because they are good? Like, Usain Bolt didn't have to run with 10 kilo singlet on because he was a bit faster than all the others. Uh, owners of horses that are absolutely brilliant and turn up to the races with 62 on its back and they look at a horse... It's got 56 or something. Um, just because they've got a better horse, they're being penalised. How, how do you address that situation? Yeah, well, it's interesting because uh, I've been in the role here for 14 months and made a lot of observations. And we had some road shows we did with the trainers throughout New Zealand back in January. And there was a lot of feedback around the 62 top weighted horses running in open handicaps and how they were placed. And we actually did some stats around that. And... To be fair, gone are probably the days that, you know, in years gone by with your Tiako Sharks and your real good New Zealand horses, we don't have as many of the high-rated horses currently running in New Zealand. So what we did, we went back and looked at the winning percentages of horses running in open handicaps that carried 62 or more, and the percentage was not that great. So we've actually introduced something where... A uh, horse that's rated like a it's a, like a gradual weight increase. So horses previously that were rated say 90 uh, or above would have got 62 in open handicap. Um, now a horse rated 90 would get 61. A horse rated 60 uh, 91 would get 61 and a half. And anything rated 92 or higher would get 62. And it's early days, but that does seem to be working working better. And I think it's. Uh, been well received by trainers that 
and they can actually see that, um, you know, whereas they might have nominated a horse one week and it would have got 62 kilos with a rating of 90, and a week later they've got a horse rated 89 would get 60, where there's only one rating point between they should have got half a kilo. We've now got that gradual weight increase, which has been well received, and early days it seems to be working well. Um, do you ever get trainers or owners that ring you up and say, why has my horse got so much weight, or is it pretty much taken on the chin? No, we certainly, we certainly get uh, calls from time to time, either from owners or trainers, and uh, you know, a part of Tyler, my job is to obviously be comfortable in our decision-making, and you're always going to have disagreements with trainers. They're going to agree to disagree with you, but I think if we can justify our decision-making around it and we're transparent uh, along with that all the way, um, you know, I think even though they may disagree with you at times, I think being transparent and, and knowing in our mind that we feel we've done the right thing and we're comfortable with our decision-making, um, I, I think, you know, as I said, most of the time, it, it's, it does work out okay. Talking to Neil Jennings, he's the New Zealand Thoroughbred Racing Handicapper. Last question, can you explain to me uh, weight for age? Yeah, so weight, weight for age obviously is based on... Uh, it's over the 12-month season and it's based on a horse's age um, and the distance they run in and the time of the season they run in. So obviously um, a, lot of, a lot of the weight for age races, you'll see that our Group 1 races are run at weight for age and that's basically designed for horses to meet on even terms. Mm-hmm. Once consideration has been given to the age, sex, the race distance and the month of the racing season, and just bearing in mind there, Staffy, that um, if fillies are mares, when they're running against the um, open sex horses, when they're running against the males, they will get a two kilo weight allowance throughout the season in weight for age races. So you, you would have seen the grapes like uh, Black Caviar and Winks and the likes. When they were running in weight for age races, they were very well treated because mm. if they were having to line up in handicaps they would have had to be giving away a lot of weight to males whereas every time they ran in a weight for age race um they were getting two receiving two kilos from those horses so so a seven-year-old mare in a 1600 meter weight for age race <clears throat> that's run let's let's just say it's won 13 races and a seven-year-old mare in the same race it's won four races same weight they would they would. Whereas, whereas if it was a handicap, uh, they would be weighted depending on what their rating was. So say yeah. the seven-year-old man that's won 13 has won, uh, he's rated 80, and the seven-year-old man that's won four is rated 68. In a handicap, there would be six kilos between them. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's why, the, right. that's why the good ones target weight for age, eh? Yeah, correct, correct. And as I said, the mayor, we've had some outstanding mares in the past, you know, you even look at the horse like Melody Bell, Probabil, who originally retired. Um, they've been ex- exceptional mares, and, you know, the list of, of those horses in Australia, um, the mares that have been dominant, you, you find uh, most of them have been dominant because they've been able to take advantage of carrying two kilos less in the weight for age races compared to their male counterparts. 
and very rarely probably do you see a horse like um, Black Caviar and the like take on handicapped companies. But mm. I w- would say that Black Caviar actually won the new market handicap going back over a decade ago and carried 58 kilos. And that would, would have been the equivalent of a male horse carrying 60 kilos in that way, right? And she was a dominant winner. And internationally, she got a rating of 132 out of that race. And there's only one horse that's been rated higher in the international ratings um, in that time, which was Frankel, who was just an an exceptionally freaky talent, and he got a rating of 140. We're going to let you go shortly. I've got two rapid-fire ones that have come through on our text machine from the listeners. Best horse Neil seen? Best horse I've seen? Um... Best horse I've seen, obviously I spent uh, over two decades in Victoria, so the best horse I would see, and I was the sprint handicapper there, would obviously be Black Caviar. She was 25 from 25, and she was just so arrogant and dominant in her performances. And a close uh, second to her would be Winx. Mm-hmm. And in, in New Zealand, obviously, you know, the likes of... Um, had some outstanding horse, horses in New Zealand. Um, lots of uh, Viander Cross. Uh, oh, now you're talking. Yeah. Rough habit. Yeah. Here we go. Rough, 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 rough <laughs> habit, correct. Yeah. Um, Sunline Bone Crusher, Waverly rough, Star. Sunline oh. Bone Crusher. Yeah, the list goes on. The yeah. list goes on. And, and obviously, a lot of those horses were very successful across the pavement. And the last one is actually a question for me, but I'm going to share it with you. They've just said, uh, hey, Steph, did you accidentally ring Eddie Jones' number? Neil sounds like Eddie Jones. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah, do it. <laughs> Cheers, buddy. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Neil. No worries. No, pleasure. Anytime. Thanks, Thanks mate. There's Neil Jennings. He's the handicap for New Zealand Thoroughbred. Thanks to loveracing.co.nz. Yes, welcome back in. That was fascinating, talking to the handicapper. I learned, I learned a few things. Learned a few things. In about 10 minutes, we're going across the ditch to chat to our mate Jimmy Smith. I can see him on our little video machine. He stands up, does the show, does Jimmy Smith. That's because of his uh, diaphragm. Oh, diaphragm, Staffy, diaphragm. Old school diaphragm, stand up. There we are, standing up. Yep, now and you're, you're sitting down. Yeah, no, because no, I'm sitting down. <laughs> I can't do that. I can't do that. So uh, McIver's in here because he's doing the run home with Beef. Yep. What a combo! Well, Beef's very excited. Oh, like, I can imagine. Beef's very excited. He's not logged in yet. I can see no. his camera as well. <laughs> and I've been annoying him all afternoon with, "Hey, we'll do this. We'll do this with this." Actually, you're probably going to go zumpus actually with Jimmy Smith because uh, one of the, we're going to talk to Kempy at four thirty. Yep, because. Cody Nicarima. Cody Nicarima. So you're obviously going to talk to uh, Jimmy Smith about that. That's fine. He'll bring it up. Yeah. I, let, I let Jimmy bring up. But yeah. Yeah, actually, um, one of the listeners texted it through before that he's off to the Dolphins yeah, and thinks does. that the brother will follow. Oh, Jaden mm. from the Broncos. Mm. Uh, no, no, no. He's at the Storm, isn't it? I think, I think Jaden's at the Storm. I think he's at the Storm. For, don't even go there. I saw the, a, a low-level Storm play the other day against the Sharks get beaten up. Yeah, they were mud, weren't they? They weren't pretty. They're like the All Blacks, really. Now, when you think when you think about it, when you talk about uh, high high-powered teams that are always used to success, and then you see a t- both teams play like mud. You go, hmm, they are real after all. <laughs> yeah. When you when you break it down, right? Mm. At the storm, you're going, well, what's going on? And then you go, well, All Blacks, well, what's going on? Mm. Teams that normally have uh, strength and ball handling, uh, back play, forward play, and then they just 
fumble, 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 fumble. I'm still struggling with that all-black thing, hey? Mm. I brought it up in the first hour, Stephen, when we were doing our midday madness with our calls, that we've been lulled into a false sense of security because we had a unit of generational players, and I'm talking Carter, Nonu, Smith. I'm talking Reed, McCaw, and these absolute crucial ones, Wayne Smith, falls in that conversation as well because he was like the Wayne, smart. Wayne Smith is the unheralded champion of all the All Black success. Bang. Just I agree. look at what the Black Ferns are doing now, right? Mm. And I remember having a conversation when John Hart was the coach at the time. And this is a long time ago. I went to his I went to his house in Christchurch. Yes, I did rugby. And I said, Would you would you be the all black coach? And his quote to me, and I remember this vividly over a cup of tea, he goes, Not in this environment. That's all I'll say. That's all you need to say. That's all I need to say. But you're going to say a lot between four and seven oh, yeah, with mate. Beaver. What's coming? I've, I've heard a whisper, but I haven't announced. The great one, the Rabs. We've got Rabs at five. I rang Rabs today. He called me back. And I said, look, uh, Billy Slater could do what Fatty Vorton did in 95 and win his first series as an ex-player, as a coach. Mm. He said, yeah, let's have a chat. So I'm going to chat to Rabs at five about that. I said, how's retirement? Not doing it that well. He misses it. Oh, he misses he calling does. like you wouldn't believe. But I think... I think maybe age. You know what? I think age has nothing to do with it. I just have a feeling there may have been a slight push for a so-called younger sound. And I, and I, be honest with you, I miss Rabs. I miss Rabs. I miss Rabs like you wouldn't believe. And so we're going to have a chat to Rabs at uh, <clears throat> five o'clock. At five, we're going to talk the. Well, this is everybody's been so negative about rugby, right? And this is coming from me. And I'm looking at I'm looking at uh, England, Australia, and New Zealand, Ireland. And for the, when was the last time you knew? So four of the biggest nations in rugby had to go to a decider. Oh, I can't remember it ever happening. But everybody, we're, we're talking it all down. We're, 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 everybody's talking this, oh, we're worried about the All Blacks this, worried about the All Blacks that, or this. We've got a decider. It's how exciting. Could you, how could you not get a little, a little bit of a murmur? Mm. Ten seconds. What else tonight? Oh, gosh. Afternoon. Uh, lots. Uh, Black Sticks playing overnight. Yes. Took Anna Crowley at six. And we've got a pretty cool uh, Teamless Tuesday uh, with nicknames. Oh, nice. There you oh, go. Nice. All right, that is the run home. That is four till seven. Stick with us, Jimmy Smith, on the other side. Can I get you to say with me, how bloody are you? Across the ditch. Yes, very soon we'll be heading across the ditch. I can see Jimmy Smith resplendent. Oh, there he is. there with his team. There he is. There he is. Here I am. How you been, Staffy? I've been all right, mate. I've been all right. You've been on the um, have you been on the Coco Magic sourcing new markets <laughs> trips? You're away more than me. I tell you what, we had a uh, conversation with Zach Bailey yesterday from Channel Nine. He's been putting in a bit of lychee, oh, in with his Coco Magic and having great results. I tell you what, ever since we first started talking about Coco Magic, you were going to get send me some on the proviso. I gave a six-pack to Jacinda Ardern. I've started drinking the old coconut water from the soupy. Is that right? From the soupy. I actually really like it. Yeah. Well, hang on. You're not going to mention a rival brand, are you? I won't tell you the brand, but your brand's no. not available. No, that's right. But we can talk. That's... We can take it offline. Jacinda's, okay. just, uh, Jacinda's just been in Australia talking about better trade deals between New Zealand and Australia. What a great starting point. <laughs> just enter we into the market from... with demand. Yeah. We come at this through trust <laughs> and a, a mutual respect for each other that, that I think is obvious. Mm. And I'm going to vote an underarm. We haven't believed it. 
Well, that's a disappointing finish. <laughs> Disappointed Brian affecting the crowd boom, and it's all over. You are a one-trick pony, James <laughs> Smith. You are a one-trick pony. <laughs> It's not even a trick, really, is it? So, <laughs> I'm pleased you enjoy it. <laughs> Just hit the button. Just hit the button. I tell you what, though. Mm-hmm. Did you see the photo that I sent sent through of my brother-in-law in the crowd at Dunedin? Oh yes, dressed up in his finest Irish gear. Amazing, amazing-looking chap. <laughs> Was he with the with the wig? That's him on the left. With the red wig. Yeah. Oh my, what a plonker! It's I, not a wig. I'm oh, just kidding. <laughs> are, you, are you twins? <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. That's not bad. That. That's Look. not bad. Mm. So anyway, um, and then I start reading some headlines. Um, Richie McCaw's had a go. Um, uh, astonishing world rocked by 117-year first. Foster under scrutiny as All Blacks coach after loss to Ireland. Geez, you can turn quickly. Oh, Foster's been under scrutiny from the public since he was appointed. Oh. Because, you know, the general feeling is, and you'll never know because he's not doing it, that the best coach in, in the world is Scott Robertson and he coaches the Crusaders and wasn't given a crack. Um, and now we're worried we're going to lose him because he is ripe for the plucking. Um, my prediction. Yes. My prediction is before the World Cup finishes, there will be announcement that Scott Robertson will be the next England coach and they will tie him up well before the World Cup. Um, because if New Zealand don't win it, that could be the end of Ian Foster and they'll look for Scott Robertson, but he already signed for England because I think they're ready to part ways with Eddie Jones. They will remunerate him very nicely too. Handsomely. Yes. Um, Isn't that strange? So we're this far out from a a Rugby World Cup. Eddie Jones is under enormous pressure. We've got a great rugby series here, Mm. locked at 1-1, and the mind games have started in earnest. Eddie comes home in many ways, to Sydney uh, to win this one. And, and a lot of people are saying to, to save his job. But um, that's a, w- w- is there any chance that the All Blacks move and, and they replace Foster pre the Rugby World Cup? Oh, look, history would suggest that there's absolutely no way they would do that because that's an admission that they got the appointment wrong. And, yeah. I, and I just can't see them doing that. I did, I did paint out a couple of best-case scenarios and worst-case scenarios to the listeners before. Worst-case scenario for leading up to the World Cup is we lose to Ireland. We lose both games um, in South Africa. We've got two games in South Africa. We drop one to Argentina. We drop one to you guys. And we drop one on the Northern Hemisphere Tour. Then there's some really difficult discussions. Really difficult. Right. I've got a question for you with your rugby league background. Yeah, rugby league. Um, um, I was going to say Will Ferrell. Farrell is the English man that coaches Ireland rugby league. Sean Edwards in rugby circles is considered the best defensive coach in rugby. He's been with England and he's been with France. Uh, Sinfield, Kevin Sinfield is the defence coach for the... Premiership winners in Saracens, I think it is, up north. Uh, David Kidwell has been picked up to coach with Czech and the Argentinians because of rugby league coaches are seen as, or rugby league players actually, are seen as very valuable members of a defensive structure in rugby. Why? Uh, John Muggleton did it with the Wallabies for a long time, the former Parramatta Eels, second rower. Les Kiss, who was a winger yes, for the North yes, Sydney yes. Bears, did it. Anthony Seabold is doing work with 
Eddie Jones and the England side. I think there's it's it's really interesting because I look at people look at rugby, ah, oh, they don't tackle, and I say, well, hang on a minute, have a look at the size of these guys and the collisions that they get into, and 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 it's very different, you know, especially from that forward drive where the forwards looking to go. To make metres, yes, but then certainly to get his body positioned to a point where the ball is not being able to take. You've got, you know, you've mm. got to secure the ball and just place it behind you. Um, but I think there's a, there's a respect for the way that the rugby league players can do it, especially in their initial contact. Right. I think initial contact is really, really good in rugby league. Um, and that's pre the catch, hold, bring to ground yep. situation that we have with some teams. And then the other thing about it is I think in rugby league for a long time, drift defense was such a big thing. So going up and being up, like we used to do this drill at training. I didn't do it. Obviously the backs did it, but <laughs> we used to do this drill at training was you'd have two defenders, four attackers, and all you had to do was manage them to the sideline. And and the, the big call was it does, if, as long as you can beat that outside man to the corner post, then you 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 can remain in control, and they used to we used to drill that, drill that, drill that all the time, and I think that's really big in rugby when they've got the when they've got extra men on the outside, and you need to manage that. I think that's what a, a rugby league ex player can coach. Fantastic, Jimmy. I tell you what, Blake Ashford is a listener. He's just rung in on the back of your talk, so I need to let you go because we have to take yeah. a break before the new. But you've sparked us. I, I, I really appreciate that explanation and, and all sincerity. Ask Blake, because he, he played in the outside backs, so he would absolutely know that. Mm. Um, he's a good fella. Say good day. I will. Thank you, Jimmy. Yeah. Good on you, mate. There good he is. Jerry, there's Staffy. Uh, Jimmy Smith. Blake Ashford just called. Next. Yeah, he did. And I answered the phone and I said, hello, SENZ, you're talking to Napier. And uh, it sounds like a pocket dial. Oh, so I think Blake Ashford just pocket dialed ECNZ. How good. That's so good. All right, let's have a break and we'll go back and have a look at today in history. Let's have a look back in the day. It is the 12th of July in New Zealand. In 1979, there was a disco demolition night organised at Comiskey Park where fans went wild, destroying disco records. That caused the White Sox to forfeit the second game of a doubleheader against the Detroit Tigers. There was a crate filled with disco records blown up on the field. Madness. Madness at Comiskey. 2001. Uh, the first stage win by New Zealander in the Tour de France came in a team time trial. Uh, Christina was the cyclist. He didn't finish with the core of his credit agricole team, but he did share the stage win and got to stand on the podium. Our Florida man Google search today has resulted in this. Florida man without arms charged after allegedly stabbing a tourist with his feet. Weird. Uh, Birthdays today. Brock Lesnar, not Mark Hunt's best friend. He turns 44 today. Colombian footballer James Rodriguez turns 30 today. New Zealand women's legendary rugby football player, Portia Woodman, 31. Uh, Hoskins Satutu, Blues and All Blacks, 24. And Stan Meads, the great former All Black, 84 years young today. Happy birthday, Stan. The number one movie. Uh, 12th of July 1991 actually it wasn't the no- number one movie it was just released in July 91 was Point Break with Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze but the number one song in 1975 Get Your Groove On <laughs> 
Look who I'm doing his best this going through soon. Hey, thanks heaps for your company today. Hopefully Sammy Hewitt will be back. But a big shout-out to Neeps for running the cutter for me today, Neeps. And also for Jakey for stepping in and giving us a hand when things are a bit thin on the ground. Big thanks to Chris Pollock and all the other guests for coming on the show today. You're in for a wee treat. you got Rams Warren. He's on with McIver. Equally a big treat. And Beaver icing on the cake. Catch you all tomorrow. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.